<gasps> Did I scare you, Dockalos? Champions of the Docks, fellow champions of the Docks, welcome to this, our first week of October episode. We're going to keep it creepy all month long here at the Documenteers. The Documenteers being the show you're listening to right now. The show about documentaries where we discuss documentaries and we review documentaries under the fair but firm Werner Herzog rating scale. I'm your host, Bob Sham. And on this creeptastic episode, we go back to them creepy 80s, those 90s, those slasher film favorites. A film about the franchise of The Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger. Everyone knows who fucking Freddy is. And we're talking about the film Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy, directed by Daniel Ferrance, Andrew Kosh, and uh, narrated by Heather Langenkamp, who you may remember played Nancy in the original, and she would reprise that role a couple of times. I found this on Amazon Prime. I rented it five. I think you could find like a YouTube version. It's a little blurry. I chose to watch the clear version. You can digitally own it for like 10 bucks. And if you're a big Freddy fan, it's probably worth it. Everyone else can enjoy us discussing it. This came out in 2010. And it covers every single Nightmare on Elm Street movie, except for the Jackie Earl Haley version, which I think was in 20. 10. We hope you have fun with this one. We recorded it in parts. So I forgot to do this in the episode. So let me just say social networks at Documenteers, documenteerspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to ask me anything or make a request, we don't mind. And five stars and a brief review on iTunes. Uh, that is the best absolute way that you can help the Documenteers spread the word. Anyone who does that, mm, God, you're, you are the shit the shit and anyone who has listened to our episodes and has not done it look you're pretty cool but you're not yet the shit you want to be the shit don't you five stars in a review on itunes slash apple podcast in this episode there is a little bit of random static i need to remember to cover up my vents when i'm recording Achilles, of course getting revenge on me for the last time he was here for playing all those versions of i think we're alone now so now we're just hitting each other with the most annoying shit the person who suffers the most is you the listener but some music credits in between our segments within this episode it kind of breaks down like angela and i's evil genius episode except this isn't a docuseries it's a full fucking four hour long movie but we approached it in that way but it will be rated in Herzog's, not Errol Morris's. Next week on the podcast, Creeptober rolls forward. Internet horror memes reach into reality as two girls attempt to murder in the name of a being known as Slenderman. That's right. We are talking about the 2016 Irene Taylor Brodsky directed HBO original, Beware the Slenderman. So if you have uh, an HBO Go account, your uh, cousin Cheryl's HBO password. That is where you can find Beware the Slender Man. That is next week on the show. But the music I played briefly in between the segments, I just want to credit that right now. The first one is Charles Bernstein's classic Nightmare on Elm Street theme song, No Relation to the Late Leonard Bernstein. That's from 84. And then I think from 87 in the second one, Dawkins, Dream Warriors. Dawkins, of course, being the official house band of the Documenteers. And Don Dawkins is a, is a saint somewhere in the Documenteers lore. 
I need to figure out exactly where he goes. The third intermission features a, a juke and footwork track by a DJ Young Tellum. Uh, look up juke and footwork. It's a Chicago music subculture with a very physical uh, dance moves, like quick, quick rhythms and shit like that. I, I find it to be pretty interesting. For a good introduction to the music side of that, check out the Bangs and Works compilations. I, I enjoy them quite a bit. And in our fourth interlude, we play... The Goo Goo Dolls. Remember that fucking band? This might be the best Goo Goo Dolls song I've ever heard. I thought it was The Replacements when I first started listening to it. But their song, which is on the Freddy's Dead soundtrack, I believe, from 91, called I'm Awake Now. Dawkins' Dream Warriors song is, of course, on the soundtrack to Dream Warriors. And the show goes out on a track, a parody track, a parody of a Cheddar De Connect song, Flick of the Wrist. But it's as if Freddy... It's the Freddy version of Flick of the Wrist. And it's our uh, documenteers mix of it. That was originally created by the Merkins. You can go on their YouTube channel and see this video. It's very funny. And the, the beats on that are by Jay Static. And that's what we end on. So hope you enjoy that crediting of things. Look, babies, I'm taking too much time. Let's go to sleep. Let's lay our heads down and listen about the man the pedo who comes to us when we sleep. Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy by Daniel Ferrans and Andrew Cash. Keep on docking. Now, here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. October, wink, wink. Mm-hmm. Time for ghouls and ghosts. Sure, we are pre-recording this at a significant time, but we need to get it in our heads that it's creepy, spooky time. I'm right in now. an October state of mind. It's raining today, so that you know, it helps with the, the yeah. Drear. Ooh, yeah, the ominous feeling that you get during the month of October. Hey, I don't mean to scare you, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just peed myself. Scary movies not often my favorite genre. I don't feel like I get scared that much. And, like, the batting average on them is not very good for the most part for horror movies in general. But around this time of year, I do like to hit them up. It surprises me that you're not a big horror guy. For some reason, I thought you that would be kind of your thing. Well, I do enjoy true crime, and there's a, a big crossover there. Yeah. I, it does. It is kind of surprising to people. But, no, I probably prefer, like an action movie or a comedy really but my favorite horror movies are probably the general favorite horror movies like the shining and stuff never like, seen it you've never seen it nope Ooh. i know i'm not a big horror person i mean there are certain horror horror movies that horror horror, the horror. i'm not a big horror i'm not a big horror, horror fan. person but personally i prefer more of a psychological drama no i never uh <laughs> <laughs> my mom when we when i when i grew up we never went trick-or-treating when I was a kid, she would always rent 
scary movies and we order a couple of pizzas and that was our thing. So I, I remember her taking me to the theater to go see Poltergeist at like the age of eight. Wow. Yeah, probably not the best decision she ever made from a parenting standpoint. Why, um, why wouldn't she want to go trick-or-treating? Is it just, it just like, wasn't something I grew up with. Like I, I, don't even, I remember being really young, maybe like five. She made this really horrible, I love you, mom. I really do. But it was a really bad cousin it costume <laughs> cool at the age of five i had no idea who cousin it was so this was just totally her <laughs> affection for the adams family and it was basically just me in a yarn wig essentially um covering my face and i couldn't see so she took me trick-or-treating that's really the only memory i have i love that point in a child's age where everything the child is representing you can tell it's a projection yeah. of the parents yeah like you kill we're gonna dress you up like sydney portier <laughs> It's totally something she would have done. You see, like, three-year-olds wearing, like, uh, Led Zeppelin shirts. It's like, yeah, that kid's really rocking it out yeah, to Led Zeppelin yeah. 3. <laughs> but maybe they are. I don't fucking know. That kid know. obviously knows a lot about Ghostbusters at the age of seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> An infant in a Star Wars shirt is like, oh, we know where this is going. Either this kid's going to love Star Wars or is going to burn this house down. Yeah, that's stupid. At a, at a certain point, uh... I don't know. We stopped doing that. I probably just lost interest. And now my mom will not watch a scary movie. Like she can't, her heart can't handle it. She gets mm. stressed out. Um, I went through a phase, I guess probably in my twenties where we were doing a lot of those uh, sort of Korean, uh, South Korean remakes, like the ring, oh, yeah. like something about a wet kid, a kid with like wet hair in their face, moving all herky jerky. Sure. That still freaks me out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street, that's one, obviously, most people of our age grew up with. That one scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I did watch a lot of slasher movies. This is something I was more into when I was very young. I don't know why, as an adult, I just went forward. Because these things aren't for children. That seems to be a thing, though. I mean, I know a lot of people who remember from a very young age, like, their obsession with slasher movies began when they were, like, eight, nine years old. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I won this prize for drawing, like, a Halloween picture at my elementary school. This is a different era, obviously. <laughs> and the prize was a free video rental at this video store by the Hilltop Grocery. I rented Child's Play 2. Nice. With that prize, that video rental prize. That's awesome. No one batted an eyelash. No, of course not. My grandmother wasn't even in the building. She pulls up. She's like, go get your movie. I'm like seven, eight years old. I walk out with a VHS of Child's Play 2. But I did watch all that shit when I was a kid. And I was particularly obsessed with the Friday the 13th series. I get Those stuck with me. Nowadays, you can find all these kind of psychoanalysis of what those movies mean and what they represent. But, like, the idea of Jason, like, he was a murdering psychopath. But he kind of wasn't always like that. He was a kid that was picked on. Maybe I connected with Jason in that way. That's how it starts. And then and then I grew up to mass murder people at campgrounds. I mean, that's Fuck. full circle. Are these mics on? You can always have that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to lose a lot of my pop culture street cred, but I've never seen one Friday the 13th movie. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm not going to say they're good. I've only seen Halloween 2. I bet. Whoa, really? <laughs> the one with like the pumpkins on the TV screen. Is that two or three? Uh, Whichever one has nothing to do with the actual Mike Myers. I think that's like Michael four. Myers is it? Okay. Yeah. Whichever one that is where the pumpkins on the TV screen that does something to people. But the second one is like Jamie Lee Curtis running through a hospital. Okay. First one's great. I actually do really like that movie. I like John Carpenter, though. 
Yeah, so, the stuff that I grew up with was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, the Child's Play movies. Remember House? Remember that movie about the house? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. That one. Pult- the Poltergeist movies. Uh, my mom was a big fan of Rosemary's Baby and Children of the Corn. Um, we watched Children of the Corn in high school, and it was, like, funny. That part where the kid gets plowed, he obviously looks like a dummy, yeah, yeah. you know? I never saw The Exorcist until I was in my 20s. That movie still blows me away. I saw that with my girlfriend at the time, who was very surprised I'd never seen it. And I was blown away with what they got away with in that movie. Like, having a, a child actor of that age do the stuff that she did in that movie. It was like, oh, man, yeah. gotta love the 70s. Yeah, that was also a good one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and a lot of Stephen King stuff. I watched a lot of Stephen King movies when mm. I was a kid. What is the best Stephen King adapted horror? Uh, I think Misery's really good well i've never read misery um i can't i can't get through his books i don't think he's that good a writer he's not i mean i've i've been waiting through it i'm like halfway through it i would like to finish that one i tried to read the stand in high school and that's just like reading war and peace i mean it's so well it's this that good versus evil it's like yeah i get it yeah i tried to read salem's lot that was one i tried to read it fairly recently and his setup like the second act i thought was really well done and then when things started going towards the climax, I don't know why. I just thought it was very boring. I yeah. didn't care for it. I probably had 30 pages left in that book, and I was like, I just don't want to read this. Yeah. That drives Angela fucking nuts. Add. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can sit there, and we'll watch this show. There'll be two episodes left of the whole series. And I'll be like, I don't want to watch I do this. the same thing to Shlaine. I do it all the time. It drives her crazy. I get her in the shows. Mm-hmm. that I really like and then a certain amount of time after we've been watching it together I just started to lose interest and I totally just bail on her I've done it probably three or four times I did it on Walking Dead but the movie that we are discussing today it's four hours long you picked it and I know what's going on here <laughs> you're getting sweet revenge because the last time we were on an episode <laughs> together I made you sit through 19 versions of I Think We're Alone Now was in it, a bit that admittedly took way too long. Was it just 19? Because I feel like it was so many more. <laughs> I probably could have found like double more <laughs> if I really looked. I appreciate your uh, ability to scale it back and just stick with 19. I think if you'd hit 20, that would have been too much. But this is a film on the retrospection of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Is that trademarked? Retrospection? Is that a word? Retrospection. The deliberate recall of past events. Retrospection. I thought that's a made-up word. It might. Well, I'm bringing it into the zeitgeist. <laughs> a retrospect. Retrospect. Consideration of past times. Retrospect. I don't know. Maybe retrospective? Retrospective. Of relating to or contemplating the past. Retrospective. Anyway, we're talking about the film. <laughs> Never Sleep Again. The, the Elm Street Legacy. I almost said Nightmare on Elm. No, it's Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy, directed by Daniel Ferrans and Andrew Kosh, narrated by Heather Langenkamp. And how long is it? It's a four hours long. Yeah. How Here's does it feel? Sweet, sweet <laughs> revenge. <laughs> Tastes so good. As of this recording, we actually have not watched it yet. Um, we're doing this style that we do in documentary series. But even though it's not a documentary series, so we're not going to rate it in Errol Morris's. It's going to be in Werner Herzog's, uh, like usual. But we're going to watch it an hour, come back, try to keep it within 10 to 15 minutes. They watch another hour and come back. So right now, we have not seen it. But you've seen this before. I have. uh, Probably about a year or so ago. Mm. Came out Um, in 2010. 
Uh, they posted it on Netflix. I was actually looking for Nightmare on Elm Street, which I think may have been on there at the time, and that popped up in the search, and I was like, huh, check this out. And I was like, shit, four hours? Eh. <laughs> it was, it was Bobby can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe it covers every single Nightmare on Elm Street movie, including the reboot uh, that starred, I can't remember the actor's name. He played Warshak in oh, um, um, Watchmen. Shit. What is that guy's name? It's like three. It's like a two names and a middle initial or something like that. I want to say John C. Riley. No, no. Which, that would be great if it was him playing Freddy Krueger. I mean, it's, it's fucking with my head. We could very easily Google, but that's just too Jackie easy. Earl Haley. Yes. I knew it sounded like uh, someone who assassinated a president. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he would kill a president. He totally does. So make sure you kill the right one, buddy. Got about two and a half years left, buddy. Controversy. <laughs> I no, said I, it. No, actually, I hope no one kills him. Because that's true. Then we're stuck with the Grim yeah, Reaper. Then we're got like Mr. Martyr now. <laughs> you need to have him fall apart. That's true. Even if his base will never acknowledge that it's happening. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going yeah, down that get, road. Let's, get, let's not get off topic. <laughs> my relationship with Freddy Krueger, he wasn't my favorite, but I was into all these slasher movies when I was a kid. So even though it's been a very long time, this movie is probably going to be like a a, a down memory lane movie for me. Because I'm trying to think of the things I remember. Knife gloves going through bodies while they're laying in bed. I remember a part where blood's just soaking a ceiling, right, from yeah, a body. Johnny Depp. And then, yeah, yeah the first one at, at the end where you think it's all over. And then the gloved hand pops through like the the front door window yeah. and pull that's that's some creepy stuff, shit man yeah yeah that's good yeah. that's the the series created by wes craven he created scream and um scream scream yeah <laughs> <laughs> rest in peace wes craven i think he rest did some didn't he do a movie about like a, a a serial killer that gets electrocuted and has electric the shocker didn't he do that? I hope so, because I remember that was one of the many movies that my mom and I rented together. He gets, uh, he's on death row and he gets killed in the electric chair, but there's like a lightning storm or something and overloads and he ends up coming back from the dead with the ability to electrocute people. Yeah, 1989, written and directed by Wes Craven. Nice. Not to be confused with the shocker from Marvel Comics um, <laughs> or the shocker uh, where, where you look, use the fingers. The finger thing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is my favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we had a long discussion about that the last time I was here. <laughs> if you ever get a chance, go on Urban Dictionary and look at all the different ways to describe the shocker. Or put in the shocker and then Google image search. Google can't catch them all. You know what I'm saying? But shit like that, like the shocker, look at the poster for the shocker and the Nightmare on Elm Street stuff. In my head, that's the 80s for me. Oh, yeah. And this was the movie that put Wes Craven on the map. Yeah. Like, the first Nightmare on Elm Street sort of set him up pretty much for the rest of his life. And Freddy Krueger was very popular. You used to see kids would have posters of him, which is weird because he's like a fictional pedophile, Frederick Krueger. <laughs> People don't really talk about that very much. I try to bring it up Krueger. every I, time. Yeah, I know. It's... <laughs> Remember that whole thing about him? <laughs> molesting children <laughs> and then killing them. So yeah, I've seen all of these. If I, he would actually existed, you and Angela probably would have done a podcast episode about him. You know, we could probably find a true crime story that's actually scarier, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. But I remember the image of Freddy being on, I remember you used to go to fairs when you were in the 80s and 90s when you were a kid. I, I used to go to a lot of like street fairs. You'd bust the balloons and get prizes in a cardboard frame, like a mirror 
with an image on it. I've got one of a monster truck around here. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. What you, I know. What you, Michael yeah. Jordan was huge. Yeah, then, yeah. So you'd see see old Michael Jordan, and then you'd see shit like Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Can we get that mirror up there with that burnt molester, uh, pedophile, <laughs> rapist, killer person? Oh, honey, I don't think he's revealed to be a molester until later. Like at first, he's mm. just like your average run-of-the-mill dream-stalking psycho slayer, right? I don't know if it's uh, maybe in the. No, I thought they get into his origin in the first one. This movie will probably explain yeah, it yeah, all, we'll, too. We'll, we'll find out. My relationship with Freddy Krueger, like most people. He used he was, to date your mom. He, yeah, he did, um, like most people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> your mom doesn't listen, does she? No, she doesn't even know what a podcast okay. is, so I'm very fortunate for that. There are some moms that moms do listen to They the love cereal. Yeah. <laughs> they love cereal. Um, but no, that was one I got into. My mom was never a big nightmare enough she person she doesn't like the slasher stuff uh that was when i got into with my friends but i remember watching it for the first time on betamax at i think my stepdad or my sister's dad i'm not gonna get to my family tree but at someone's house it was related to me we were left unattended holy shit that movie scared the crap out of me i, I literally did not sleep for probably about three days the idea i mean it's so visceral just the idea of if you fall asleep yeah not only will you die you will be killed in your dream using the worst the thing that scares you the most is that's how you're going to get killed like it's it's very primal yeah if you really think about it it's it is so scary i mean i hate like having a restless night imagine being too scared to fall yeah. asleep and that's a that's, that's the thing is you can't get away from it because everyone has to fall asleep at some point you will die if you do yeah. not sleep yeah no matter how hard you try you will fall asleep or you will die if you fall asleep <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to actually watch this, but we haven't gone deep yeah. into the four hours yet. But it's, right now, it, I'm it, excited. It, it actually it is a fun documentary. Uh, I will. I remember sort of starting to zone out when they get to like the last two or three movies, because mm. um, at that point you get zoned out with the movies themselves. Like they're stretching the franchise way too thin, and they're doing stupid stuff. Sure. Um, but I recently watched the first, second, and third movies. This is probably about a month and a half ago. Mm. Um, it's. I had forgotten how much Freddy Krueger's character changes between really between the first one, particularly from the first one into the third one. The first movie, he doesn't say much. He's really terrifying. Mm. Like he's, he is just straight up. I'm here to scare you as you're watching this movie. By the time he gets to the third one, he's like cracking one liners and he becomes like this funny sort of pedophile <laughs> killer. <laughs> Which everyone loves. It would be understanding if you confused him with an '80s stand-up. Yeah, and I, honestly, I think that's what that's what nailed his sort of stance in pop culture. If, I, I think if he had continued to be sort of this basically Mike Myers, Jason Voorhees kind of character who just was killing people and not really saying much, that's what that's that's what his niche was was the fact that he was the funny guy. He was the guy. Yeah, he's the Howie Mandel of slasher <laughs> yes, villains. That's perfect. He, he kind of does have a Howie quality. He wears the razor so he doesn't have to touch anyone. It all makes sense now. <laughs> you know, they're doing a new Nightmare on Elm Street colorblind casting. Freddy's Asian now. Is that serious? Is that true? No. Oh, I made that up. Like, <laughs> the look on your face was, it looks so just genuine. Like, <laughs> I'm getting better at that. Yeah, the world, I think the world, were, that's the one colorblind casting the world rejected. It's like, yeah, you can keep him white. That's fine. <laughs> anyway, let's go watch this fucking movie, man. That'd be a stretch anyway. <laughs> I 
<laughs> We're back. <laughs> this documentary is broken down in about, about a half, half hour yeah. per nightmare movie. Yeah. Which is pretty impressive. Yeah, you I mean, you think they spend it'd be a law of diminishing returns, like with each movie. It'd probably get less and less. That's that tends to be what happens with these kind of documentaries yeah. where they're discussing the franchise. As you get farther along, the movies get worse. They don't so. <laughs> Yeah, they don't know what is going how many were there total? I want to say there were eight. Yeah, there's we have a four hour documentary that seems like they're doing a half hour per movie yeah i think there were eight which i don't even think i realized until i watched this the first time because i had forgotten about freddy versus jason yeah yeah a crossover which is the one i i believe i remember the most fresh on my memory i think i did watch that around when it came out and then uh i guess that was the last one before they did the reboot Nightmare, which one does Roseanne and Tom Arnold appear in? It's part five. Man, I forgot about that. Part five or six. Something like that. Anyway, let's get into this. Let's get into it, man. Of course, the first half hour is devoted to the first one. The one I probably remember the most. The best, still, to this day. We see footage of an old-timey kid like, All right, mother. Time for you to be asleep, Billy. I'm not a bit sleepy. You have to get up early tomorrow, remember? Oh, I don't want to go to bed yet. It's bedtime and sleep time. I don't want to go to bed. Don't be asleep before you know it. Good night, Billy. Billy's mother didn't know the real reason why he didn't want to go to bed. So they're getting cute. Right off the bat, kind of like this show where I use some old timey yeah, yeah. clip to intro the whole show. It's only cool when I do it. Claymation it? <laughs> <laughs> and a claymation intro, which was a lot. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's a lot better than some shadowy, sulky actor pretending to be, to be Superman, <laughs> like in, like in the death of Superman yeah. lives. Yeah. Rest- I love claymation. So anytime someone takes an opportunity to do it and something. Rest in peace, John Schnepp, the director of that movie, oh, yeah. passed away. Really? About a month ago. I thought I told you no, about No, no. Yeah, he passed away, like suddenly. Oh, wow. So Man, you want to change your rating on that? No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> He's done a lot of great stuff otherwise. I Metalocalypse. I love Metalocalypse. Was that him? I think yeah. I, uh, well, he he directed that. He worked okay. in animation. He did a little bit of everything. I like Metalocalypse. It's a mouthful. Of course, we meet people like Wes Craven, Robert Enlund, Heather Langenkamp, who we said is narrating the whole thing. And I forgot about, they started talking about other movies Wes Craven directed. Other than Shocker and Scream. And of course, he did Last House of the Left. I had forgotten about that. A classic horror movie that is referenced a lot. And The Hills Have Eyes, which is one of the most fucked up horror movies. Did they do a remake of that? They did. Which is also freaky and fucked up. So, yeah, they're both brutal. There's like rape scenes in The Hills Have Eyes. Well, then I definitely should watch it. Everyone loves a rape scene. It's always We don't harsh. have enough of those in yeah. movies. <laughs> Not like this, you don't. <laughs> oh, and he did, uh, they referenced The People Under the Stairs, which was a movie I watched a lot as a kid. I did, too. I didn't even realize he directed that. Did he direct it or did he write it? I, I think, think he, he directed these. it. Well, he did write most of them. I think he directed really? it. Really? I think it had his name on it. At least he was the main producer. Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. But The People Under the Stairs... The the scary people end up being like the, the good, good guys. people, yeah, yeah. It's it was very different, maybe more of a thriller than a horror if you kind of think about it. I vaguely remember seeing that on video years ago when it first came out, and the lead character was like a young black kid. Remember? No. Oh, what was his name? 
think they called him Bug or something, or like... God, it's been so long. I mean, I haven't seen this movie since, literally since it came out, so... Watching this made me want to see it again. Now I kind of want to see it. But I watched it a lot. It obviously had a huge impact on you. Yeah, yeah. I do have fond memories of that movie. Were you a person under the stairs, Bug? I related to those <laughs> under the stairs freaks, but it, they mentioned a lot that he is Freddie is a pedophile who is burned to death by the parents of the neighborhood, as pedophiles should be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of one of those scenarios where it's like, look, I don't know where I stand on vigilante mob justice. If I heard that <laughs> everyone in my neighborhood bandied together and they didn't ask me to go burn a pedophile up the street, I think my my thoughts would be like, um, we're sure he was a pedophile. Right. You better be damn sure. That's the thing about mob yeah. justice. It's yeah. like they're not very, it's often an emotional reaction. <laughs> this country tried to go without police forces for a while. and I am a fan of mob justice. I think. <laughs> you know the best version of mob justice is? When Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, he was out of state and I think in California, they figured out who it was, but they didn't know where he was. So they put Richard Ramirez's face. If you see this man, he could be the Night Stalker serial killer. They put his face all over Wait, Southern we, California. We think this is, like, they, were they even sure? It was an investigation. They were going to arrest him for the murders. Okay. They knew it was him. And he confessed to it because he's a psycho who right. wanted credit for it. But he didn't know that throughout California that his image was all over everywhere. And everyone was like, keep an eye out for this motherfucker because he'd been terrorizing neighborhoods for years. And then he drives into town, drive, makes it into Los Angeles. And this someone recognized him. And this entire Latino neighborhood, they're like, that's the fucking Night Stalker. And they came after him and beat him. to Like, they had, like, pipes. And they wow. beat this dude's ass in the street. And it's the one time I can think of, like, mob justice actually kind of uh, my favorite version well, of mob I justice. I mean, that was, a, that was a well-informed mob. Yeah. They had photographs. Was it a photograph or was it a drawing? They had photographs. Yeah, see, so, I mean, they, they, they knew they had the right guy. For the record, I'm not for mob justice. Right. Unless it's someone I know. But if the neighborhood folk <laughs> did murder someone and I'm like, and then they find out indisputably it, it was a pedophile, I'd be like, well, that is hardcore, but I'm going to just go back to trimming my shrubs, you know. <laughs> Maybe don't fuck kids, you know. <laughs> Don't fuck kids and you won't get burned to death. <laughs> Words to live by. <laughs> Let's get into this. Let's get into this movie. Wes Craven, he hears the story of a real kid who is terrified of his nightmares. Uh, apparently it was a, a re, like a thing that was happening in Pacific Asia, somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah, like Japan or Korea. It was or happening in a lot of countries in that area where people, it was just men who were dying in their sleep, like having nightmares that were so intense that they were dying in their sleep. It became a, it was late 80s, mid 80s or something like that. And this kid would hide Early his sleeping 80s. pills and try not to sleep until at one point he did fall asleep, had a night terror, screamed, and he died in his dreams. And Wes took the notion of Elm Street, a very common American street name. It also happens to be the name of the street where JFK was killed and a street uh, of which he, at Plossum, New York, what was it, like a film school or something? Yeah, the, the school he went to, it was the cross street from yeah. the main road to the school. Also... This is the early, early days of New Line Cinema. Some cult profit back in the day where you could distribute like cult movies on VHS and do pretty good. So some John Waters movies like Pink Flamingo and Polyester, they bought the rights to Reefer Madness. A very young New Line Cinema is hinging a lot of its bets on the success of this Wes Craven movie. 
about a dude who kills people in their dreams. They cast uh, Heather Langenkamp as, uh, uh, what was her name? Nancy. Nancy, who is the hero of the movie. Yeah. Totally, totally had a crush on her. Oh yeah, as a kid, yeah. she was pretty. Yeah. So they should go through all the cast. They have a one character. What's his name? Jesu or something? Sue. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce. Let's just call him Mr. Garcia. Mr. Garcia, but he he had that line up yours with a twirling lawnmower. <laughs> hey, up yours with a twirling lawnmower. That sounds like such an '80s insult. It does. And of course. The first one had Johnny Depp, who Wes thought looked kind of sickly, but his daughter was like, he's cute. It's funny to think that his casting in that movie basically boiled down to what Wes Craven's daughter yeah. thought of him. He's dreamy. <laughs> that is the beginning yeah. of the Johnny Depp that's, as we I mean, know it. That's, Wes Craven's daughter having the hots for him. And I'm sure that more than one casting job has been decided by something as fickle. And they talk about that. how he was a pretty good actor and he like really tried hard, but he was also very nervous and clammy and sweaty all the time. I didn't realize it was his first role and that he was in a band yeah. while they were, I guess, still shooting that Well, movie. he's in a band now, haven't you heard? That's true. They don't get Johnny to interview for this movie because they forgot how to trap a Johnny Depp. <laughs> this is how you do it. You get a box, you set up a box, you put a stick on it, and then a rope is tied to that stick. In that box is like wine, like a box, of, not a box of wine, but like a case. He has high taste, so you gotta like- That's good wine. You gotta switch the labels out. You may not, don't spend money on super expensive wine. Just find the labels, print them out, put them on the bottle. He'll be like, oh, what's this? With like some Keith Richards hybrid voice. You can also throw some scarves in there. You also have to put a contract for another shitty Pirates movie and yeah. $30 million. Yeah. And then you got them. <laughs> and a blunt, like a hog's leg. Just a real hog's leg, just sitting right there. That says really good weed written on the side of it. And then boom. Did something happen to you this morning? I don't think so. Johnny Depp will, the, the box will shut, and then you've got a Johnny Depp. And you that turned out him. to be a really complicated trap. <laughs> I thought it was going to be more straightforward than that. Have so you, many moving pieces. Have you heard about his Rolling Stone interview? It's the best article Rolling Stone has had on a celebrity reporting in well over a decade, where Johnny Depp is, he reveals that he spends... Oh, well over $100,000 on wine alone. He's surrounded, like many super famous people in the twilight of their lives, by these like ridiculous yes men who just laugh at everything uh, he the says. Oh, offense. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what happens. Like, no one tells you no, and then your art starts to fade, but you become so weird that people maintain the fascination with right. you. Yeah. He wears scarves and stuff because, like, he's slowly turning into Keith Richards. <laughs> and apparently he beats his wife. Have you drunk this whole thing this morning? Oh, you got this, you got this going? Oh, really? Really? Also, he has a history of domestic yeah. abuse. But he's also a guy who wants everyone to think he's the fucking coolest, too. But he spends over 100 grand a month on wine. He loves wine. And he has 14 houses. He's in the red. Oh, like, totally in the red. Like, he's yeah. going, he's pretty much bankrupt. I mean, he owns an island. Yeah, that'll but, do it. And he refuses to sell any of his houses. Like they're all just specifically personal to all of them. He probably has a house here and around Nashville, maybe Franklin or Brentwood. I mean, or he's from Kentucky. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. If it would not surprise here. me if he's got a house somewhere. Yeah, in one of these counties surrounding us here in Nashville. I where just kind of feel like we with the amount of money that he makes doing those pirates movies that 
how do, how do you allow your? I mean, I would think one movie should cover all of his debts. Yeah. I would think. I mean, because he gets paid a shit ton of money to do those movies. His spending habits, and I kind of get the draw of it. He probably is like, oh, I want, I want to go to this place in Paris. That's my favorite place to eat. So and so, and he'll probably like take a jet there. He's kind of losing it all. But there's something about I can always just do another pirate. When you movie. break that threshold of wealth, even if you are throwing all your money away. There's something about our culture that will still continue to prop you up. So, like, he could be technically broke, but everyone's still going to, like, wipe his ass because he's Johnny Depp. It's all about the celebrity, man. Yeah. You don't lose celebrity. I, I read an article about the dude who played, I think he was the son-in-law of Bill Cosby in the Cosby show, the eldest. Oh, Elvin. Elvin. Yeah, I played Elvin. Yeah, yeah. He, he teaches in California. He's like a drama teacher, but he also got a side job bagging groceries at the uh, Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's. Yeah. And there was this re- reaction to that, like, what? This is Elvin. He shouldn't be bagging groceries. Like, that's how the public reacted, like, with this great pity. And, like, and, and my reaction was like, <laughs> what is, like, bagging groceries at yeah. Trader Joe's? It's like, like you to a just a bagger. giant <laughs> trash position. But that's, like, the subtle nature of the gilded nature of Oh, the there society. was nothing subtle about it at yeah, all. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> but, I, you know, I don't think people probably realize that if you were like, what do you thought was wrong with being a bagger? Then they'd be like, no, no, I didn't mean that. And it's like, no, yeah, you, you kind of think you're, you're telling this guy, oh, you're too good to be this guy right. over here. But I think he actually had a pretty measured reaction. It was like, look, I just needed some side bucks. Yeah, and he I, got a lot of support from other working actors yeah. on social media. And they sound like, you know, basically, how dare you shame this guy for making a respectable living working at Trader Joe's? I mean, everything is a service industry job, yeah. 80% of the jobs. So obviously, and obviously, the syndication of the Cosby Show has gone down quite a bit. Mm. I heard some fucked Shock up shit happen, and so like that's gonna affect them. So, but yeah, like we live in a service industry slash gig society. Yeah, the healthcare for it is very bad. Uh, and Trader Joe's apparently has great benefits. Uh, they're supposed to be an awesome place to work for. So, I mean, hey, he hit the jackpot as far as grocers go begging but he actually he doesn't work there anymore because it became too much of a thing yeah everyone kept looking at him like yeah. a sad puppy in a window yeah and he couldn't he couldn't work there anymore so thanks for helping elvin lose his fucking job at trader joe's yeah get over it get over it elvin's just doing his thing and we're we're actually playing into that by not calling him his actual name <laughs> we could easily just look it up but we're not i think it's jeffrey something jeffrey Jeffrey something. Uh, but he did get a job uh, offer from Tyler Perry. But anyway, we're at a nervous Johnny Depp, a very young Johnny Depp, who knows he's pretty. He's not the jocular type. You can tell he's kind of a soft. I love the cutoff jersey. Yeah. That's my favorite. They want, they've want cast him as a jock, but he looks There's bright. no way he's a football player. I mean, he could be a bad one. My high school had plenty. <laughs> well, Wes Craven's bully was named Freddie, and a guy named David Warner was originally cast. They were looking at casting a real old man. To do the Freddy Krueger role. Now, obviously, the Nightmare series is successful. It doesn't need my advice. But imagine a Nightmare on Elm Street where it is like a a nice old man. Because ultimately, all the old men look too nice and they couldn't cast. Imagine you dream about like someone who's pleasant like your grandpa. Then he ends up being a knife-handed creep. That's more terrifying to me. (laughs) That sends chills down my spine. I heard for the first Child's Play movie, which they got that guy he's like a character actor i can't remember his name who does the voice of chucky yeah i can see his face but i can't yeah yeah his name. totally he was worm tongue in the lord of the rings right. series. they originally want to use an actual child's voice for chucky and for some reason that they couldn't do it maybe 
the the studio was like, I don't like that. But even though Chucky's voice is so iconic, imagine an actual child saying all that fucked up murderous shit. That is scarier. Yeah, it is. Than what you got. If, if they had maintained it. Because ultimately, Chucky became kind of similar to Freddy Krueger. He became your th- funny. More camp. Yeah. And I think if they had gone with the kid's voice, I don't think he that would have ever crossed over. Because there's nothing. I think that it just would have maintained its creepiness. I think if they had continuously cast a child yeah. to say some of that fucked up shit. Uh, David Miller did the makeup. He's the guy who did Thriller. And he got the makeup by rearranging a pizza, a pepperoni pizza. And that's how he was inspired of Freddy's face. And he was walking around the set, walks up to Wes Craven, he's like, hey, look at this, a fucking medical textbook showing burn victims. And it's like, I want him to look like that. (laughs) Freddy was also inspired from these accusations of systematic pedophilia at this school. And this happened a few times in the 80s. There was one center in around a daycare center where... It ended up not being real because all these kids are like, yeah, I did all this and all. And these kids stories got outlandish. And it turned out that psychologists and psychiatrists who were trying to make a name for themselves were like force feeding these children. Why do I not remember this? Well, it was kind of all tied in with the satanic panic at the same time. Like there was just so much fear surrounding this. Obviously, pedophilia is a real problem. That is, it's one of the more underreported crimes because they're often not revealed until people are old enough to understand like right. what has happened to them. So I don't want to undermine that. But there were just these instances where there were these broad accusations of like, so kids will tell stories of not just claiming to be molested, but that they all had to drink a baby's blood under like a pentagram and shit like that. And shit got wild, but it ended up being stuff that was coaxed out by like hack psychiatrists because kids are very impressionable and they're being validated by making up fucked up weird stories. These instances where it made it seem like everyone in the world in a facility was involved in this. None of those ended up being true. Yeah, I don't even recall. I mean, they mentioned it obviously briefly in, in, in a certain con- certain context in the documentary itself, but I don't remember. I've never heard about that at all. I mean, I, I wouldn't have probably known about it so much as mm-hmm. a kid because what kid is watching the news and paying attention to what's happening in the world. But I would think that I would have heard about that, yeah. you know, 30 some odd years later. I think maybe it was something that everyone probably talked about at the time, but when it came out that it was falsified, yeah, I could see why it would be buried because there would be a shame of assuming so easily that this was real and it's not. Yeah. Like the feeling of maybe people being manipulated might result in it not being discussed a lot. You kind of have to dig into it. There's a case in Jordan, this town called, I think, Jordan, Minnesota. I know the name of the town because it's a song by this band called Big Black. Uh, This industrial kind of punk band from the 80s. But they sang a song about it when everyone thought it was really happening. There's this accusation that this town of Jordan, that everyone in town was like implicit in a pedophile ring. And it ended up being not true. But there is this song about it by this influential industrial punk band. Man, see, that that kind of stuff ticks me off because all you're doing is undermining any actual legitimate when someone actually goes public and says something, especially as a small kid. It's hard for a kid to come out and even talk about something like that because they don't necessarily know what's going on. And then you got these hacks manipulating them to make it seem like there's something happening. It just discredits makes it harder for other kids, but it's the world we live in. And the kids that are making these claims, they're being manipulated by the fears 
of the adults, the parents and the people around them. The kids, they they were they're manipulated. They're they're right. in they're not victims in that way, but they're victims in a totally yeah. different way. Woo, we Man, are, that was heady. We, <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the no, second no, movie yet. <laughs> Serious editing going on with this. God. <laughs> Robert Inland talked about how the glove weighed him down, so he slacked his arm, which established his posture, Freddie's posture. I love his descriptions of how he developed the character. Yeah, he really was into it, yeah. man. He really was married to the idea of Freddie. They built a rotating room, which they had to use a few times. And it was inspired by a room that was built for a Fred Astaire movie. I thought that was it. Royal Wedding. It's a classic. One of the actors, I think her name was Amanda. I think she played Tina, right? Yeah. But they talked about how she, at one point, like centipedes come out of her mouth and stuff. She got a raw deal in this movie, man. She, they, she had to do so much. She had to stuff. do all the grossest <laughs> ass fucking shit. Uh, the producer for the big, the big wig at New Line, Bob, uh, he's very invested on this working. Because not only is he putting a lot of money banking on this one movie, he's going to be forced to pay for distribution to actually show this movie. So Bob himself won't make a lot of money on the first one, even though it becomes successful. But he buys the copyright, the publishing. And so that makes him invested on making this. Very risky. Very invested on making it a franchise if it works out. They said that they had something like 80 effect sequences shot in 20-something days. It was 80 sequences for a 90-minute movie, and they shot in 26 or something, which is insane. I can't imagine what it felt like on that set. Just It had to be just constantly go, 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 go all the time to cram that into such a short period of time. It was pretty impressive. One of the more memorable scenes was when Johnny Depp gets sucked through that mattress and then the blood comes out. That was done in the rotating That's room. my favorite scene in yeah. the entire movie. I re- all these years, I haven't seen that movie in a very long time. I remember that scene very vividly. That was just visually, it was so cool. Yeah. And he gets sucked through. So they have to flip the room and they're going to like pump like blood water. This water, colored water, but it looks like blood. So they talk about how they, it was like hundreds of gallons, right? And they're pumping it into the room and it's upside down. So, and it looks, in the movie, it looks like the ceiling right. is going up and smothering the ceiling. But in reality, the mattress is on the ceiling and, and they're this, pouring the blood down through the hole. In the and mattress. this is the, this is all one take. They're, they're not able to do this again and you'll find out why. <laughs> when it hits that ceiling, it hits the electrical. Shit becomes electrified. <laughs> and the dude dumping the water is like, oh shit. <laughs> the weight of the hundreds of gallons of water starts to flip the room and the room actually does a total turn not because you want it to happen (laughs) so this room is like filling up with water it's electrified and it's flipping when no one wants it to flip because there's people in position and everyone inside they're strapped into their chairs so it's not like they can get out quick and evacuate the rotating house and everyone has to like jump off this thing get out (laughs) of the way everyone on set they can't get out of the way of all the water blood just getting flung everywhere and everyone on the set is just getting doused <laughs> in blood colored water the poor guys underneath it just pours out of the window as the house is rotating and they got to keep doing their job like they they can't just move because again one take they were talking about some people who don't usually have the sticky dirty jobs on these movies we're having like panic attacks <laughs> being covered with sticky blood water and if you notice in the movie, in the scene, uh, one of the things that makes it such a cool and eerie scene is as after the blood gushes up out of the bed, 
then everything starts to tilt. The blood starts to kind of flow to the side. Yeah. That's why. It's because yeah, yeah. they were fighting for their lives in this rotating house. You're, and you're watching the movie. It looks cool as yeah. fuck. <laughs> that room would later be used for Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. Then another classic dance scene, which is, again, an homage to Fred Astaire. Well, Tina beats the dream because the way it plays out at the end is that Tina realizes it's a dream and can control it. Nancy. Nancy, sorry. Tina was... Tina got the one, the, the raw The worst deal. killing of all. <laughs> Nancy realizes it's in a dream, and she defeats Freddy by taking control of the dream to where Freddy can't hurt her. So it kind of ends in this way, and she meets back up with Johnny Depp, her beau boyfriend. Plays out like none of the killings really occurred. It was all this war in Nancy's head between her and Freddy because she had history with Freddy before he became a dream master master <laughs> they did a lot of scenes for that end part and bob from new line he wanted to do that scene where the mother gets yanked through the door as she's saying bye to nancy right. at the very end another iconic it's a great scene. scene to bob's credit that shit really worked also the movie ends up being a big hit and wes craven became the iconic wes craven that yeah. we all know let's get into the second movie See if we can't burn through this real quick. (laughs) Now, Bob owns the copyright. Wes is not interested in doing a sequel, but Bob's like, "Uh, I'm going to try to make, I'm trying to make millions and millions of dollars here. You can either ride this gravy train or you can peace out. And Wes Graven peaced out. There's a new screenwriter hired, David Chaskin. And he goes more of a possession angle. Wes said he did not care for the script at all. And there are some problems with it that don't make much sense. There are a lot of problems. But at the same time, with the way it plays out at the end, it doesn't make sense that Freddy comes back at all. Right. Because Wes was not making this to be a franchise. But to Bob's credit, he was, which is why he fought so hard yeah. to have that scene at the end with mom being dragged. You know, Bob's here and Wes be like, I don't, I, we're, this is it. This is it. And, and Bob's had us like, sure, buddy. I've mortgaged my house, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> this cannot be it. <laughs> uh, Robert Inland's agent wants more money, but Bob is cheap, does not want to pay him. So they get another guy, put him in the outfit. It's not working at all. He's just kind of like this generic skulker. So they pony up the money to get Robert. The main character is not a female protagonist. It is a boy named Jesse. So we get our first male scream queen. And then they get into... This movie is so great. For so many different reasons than the other movies. Like, this one does hold a special place in my heart. It completely diverges from everything from the first movie. (laughs) But it doesn't matter (laughs) because what you get in return is... It's gold. We all know this more in hindsight. We understand things because people are more open about things. People are a little more accepting of sexuality than they used to be in the past. Yeah. But it was kind of funny, all that repression is that what seems like, they keep saying subtext. I think by modern standards, it's like, yo, I know what I'm looking at. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing sub about But back then, you could be blatant and people would just kind of lie to themselves yeah because or that like or machismo so, culture or they're just so clueless i mean I, I can honestly tell you that my mom could watch this movie and wouldn't catch any of it until i brought it to her attention and then she get this look on her face as all the pieces start to line up in her brain but yeah i think a lot of people would have not understood what was going on but the screenwriter of this movie is gay oh he knew what was going on uh the the main cat i forget his name who played jesse he is he was like an openly gay he was the lead the first male scream queen. Mark he, Patton. He proudly uh, makes that claim. As he should. And there were like production assistants and set designers that were also gay. 
So guess what happens? <laughs> Secretly making a gay horror film. <laughs> there's all kinds of shit going on. Like there's bare ass towel whipping scenes. Oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> there's balls attacking a coach. So many balls yeah, flying around. Yeah, coach that <laughs> gets attacked. Like, d- does he get attacked by balls? Yeah, he gets attacked by the balls. Yeah, yeah. so Freddy's throwing balls. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's also the guy that gets his ass spanked in the shower. We're laughing at this point. Because, you know, I probably saw this when I was a kid, barely understood what was going on, really. And just moved on. I never saw this as a kid. I skipped that one and went to three. And I didn't see the second one until I was in my 20s. And so by that time, of course, I'm like, holy shit. There's so much gay stuff in this movie. I didn't know one catch this. Well, now it's pretty much like this is a gay horror. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A clumsy dad. Jesse has a clumsy dad. And there's a scene where he's attacked by a parakeet. They try to make a demonic parakeet that looks like a parrot Freddy. I don't think it works. So they have a like a prop parakeet on a stick. It's one of like the cheesiest effects. And the dad ends up getting hit in the eye, for real. And he's still, I guess, dealing with that or hasn't gotten over it. I love <laughs> the fact that the uh, the guy who did that special effect, the director says that the first time he talked to him and asked him what he's the most proud of, and he said, I work with the Three Stooges. It's like, oh, no. Wow, how long have you been in the game, dude? <laughs> we're going to tie a parrot to a string and put it on a stick. Now, there were other things, like, the 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 set designers would do shit, like, put up signs and say, like, no girls allowed. <laughs> Probe. <laughs> everything, yeah, everything that has, like, this gay sex illusion. They're doing it on purpose. But everyone, the director, <laughs> everyone else... In their brain, there's like it's just a horror movie. All the heteros are completely clueless as to what's actually yeah, They going have on. no idea what's <laughs> happening. I think you can just say the gay people made this movie. I think we've come a long way as heterosexuals. I feel like we're not as clueless, yeah, as we used to be back in the '80s. Mm. You couldn't, you couldn't pull that shit on us again. I don't think in 2018. The screenwriter David was like, it was supposed to be subtext <laughs> by early 80s standards. I'd say it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he also had no idea how they were going to do. I mean, he wrote the words on the page, but he didn't know how this stuff was going to be interpreted on screen. He so. did everything <laughs> short of Jesse screaming all caps. I am gay. <laughs> well, Bob, the producer, New Lines Bob. The big wig. Uh, he wants to play the dad. He keeps wanting to find his way into the movie. He's managed to successfully throw in an iconic yank scene from the first one that Wes didn't want to do. Bob got his way, and it actually worked. Yeah. So Bob's like, I want to be the dad. And they're like, no, we're casting this angry man over here. He's going to play the dad. We'll do a different role. And they set him up, and they send Bob to the pleasure chest. <laughs> And they cast him as a leather daddy bartender. Yeah, like literally, <laughs> there's a bar scene. He's he's dressed like a leather daddy, the new lines Bob, the big wig. And it's a bar full of other men. And still, these heterosexual filmmakers do not understand <laughs> what is going on. I love the fact that he was so, like his desire to be in that film was so all-consuming that he was like yeah 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 i'll do that yeah fine sure I, i'll take my 12 and 10 year old daughter <laughs> to the pleasure chest to get some s&m bondage wear and the costume person probably knows everything that's happening <laughs> it's just going <laughs> 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 this big wig at new line is like yeah i guess i'll this harness all right this is what <laughs> actors do right i don't understand how at that point no one still has any an, any idea of what the quote unquote subtext like you're shooting a scene in a bar everyone's wearing leather 
everyone's a guy. Your producer is wearing a leather harness behind the bar and is wearing eyeliner. Like, how do, you, how do you not see where this is going at this point? Cultural repression removes the ability to understand or recognize it. If you if you lack if you don't understand it, it's hard to recognize. It's true. Your inherent homophobia or your your willingness to reject it will make you hide it, even if it's standing in front yeah, of you. That's true. And that that's result true. is that it makes you look fucking stupid. Yeah. So, you know, because you're hating on something and you obviously don't even know what, what is sitting in front of you. <laughs> now, there's a silly dance scene that most people regret involved in this movie. It was supposed to be reminiscent of the, that Tom Cruise scene in that movie, Risky Business. Top Gun. Biz- <laughs> Top Gun. <laughs> the volleyball. It's like a combination of the volleyball scene from Top Gun and that Risky Business thing. And that scene from Magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> Be the cop. <laughs> Everyone pretty much acknowledges that's the cheesiest scene. He's dancing around. It's the it's- best, man. It's the best part of the movie. Have you ever seen the Billy Squire? Oh, God, video, I love that video so Rock much. Rock Me Tonight. Oh. It's directed by Tony Ortega, who would direct Dirty Dancing. Yes, and go on to direct all the high school musical movies. Yeah. And he, he started out being a choreographer. Yeah. And like many directors, he started out directing videos. Billy Squire, he's wearing like a like it's, a pink cutoff. It is one of the most beautiful music videos I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, it's... If you've never seen Billy Squire's <sighs> Rock Me Tonight, Billy Squire credits this video as ruining his career. And he would be right. Yes. Which makes me very sad because I wanted to see more. Tony Ortega was a choreographer. You know, he was telling Billy to walk over here and go over here. But there's scenes where Billy's like tearing his shirt off and he's trying to look really macho. But Billy, is, I'm sorry. he might. You can blame some of that on the director, but Billy made some choices. Ortega was like, <laughs> I didn't tell him to writhe around on the bed like that. I didn't tell him to like whip his hair up and down like that. I think Billy was just feeling it that day, and it just did not look as cool as it he thought it would be in his head. The best thing about that video is how rarely his elbows move away from his torso, <laughs> and everything is done yeah. with just from the elbow down and the wrists. Yeah, it's, it starts out with like this great. like very lip-wristed yes. snapping maneuver. Oh, I can see it in my head right now. I can't well, stop. Folks, you got it's it's an important movie. And- Just pause the, pause the podcast right now. Go on. <laughs> we'll wait. Rock Me Tonight by Billy Squire. It's a very important video in music video history. It's oh god, it's the best. There's a scene where Freddie breaks through Jesse's body. Cool scene, which is really cool. It looks creepy as There's fuck. There's actually some some really cool stuff happening visually in this movie because this is more of a possession movie. Freddie's trying to overtake Jesse, so Jesse or Freddie manifests in the real world and attacks a pool party. And Wes is like, "That's not. He's in your dreams. That's yeah. where he lives. It's not remotely scary." Everyone acknowledges that that doesn't. It looks awkward. He's like flipping, he's just like running around. He's flipping like plastic lawn furniture around. Like, oh god! I think I'm, I'd start running until he flipped the first plastic chair, and I'd be like, "What? What is? It? Does someone like hit him with?" Something? Well, it's, yeah, it's like there are literally a hundred of us here. It's yeah. one guy flipping over some furniture. Surely we can we can take him also, out. Also, Freddy's supernatural. He's freaky. He can do like weird shit. And when you see him running around a a pool party, it's just not. It's, it's like watching your cousin on Halloween dressed like Freddy. Carter. Yeah, it was it was not effective. Your cousin also probably a pedophile, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck no! I can't let any of my cousins listen to this podcast. <laughs> But Jesse is saved by Lisa, his 
girlfriend in the movie. Air quotes. <laughs> what right. do they call that? A beard? Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jesse's beard saves him. Yes. And Freddie melts away. This movie ends up being another huge hit. And whereas sequels mostly do a little less than the first one, there was a 150% profit increase in not for Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. So as weird as it was, it wasn't very critically well received, but it is actually where well regarded nowadays. For a completely different set of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it was very different, uh, it, but the, it did have scenes that just didn't work, like the pool scene. Yeah. All right, but we're going to go on to the uh, the next hour. Ah! <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, kid. I don't believe in fairy tales. You gotta do that every time, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Akil, we just got into the weeds of part three and four yes. of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. When I was talking about Freddy and the Zeitgeist, my memories of seeing him at on merchandising affairs, a lot of it is a result of these next yep. two. Yes, indeed. These are the movies where people forgot that Freddy was a pedo. Yeah. And was like, I want dolls. I and, want pajamas. And pajamas. <laughs> but for part three, known as Dream Warriors, Wes Craven, he wrote the original script. And some other people came in, these two guys named Darabont and Russell, they came in and did a lot of great improvements to it because apparently Wes's script was like, as they described, more crude. Almost just like harsher and dirtier. Yeah, it sounds like he was really trying to push the envelope and see what he could get away with. Yeah, with yeah. The script, yeah. But aimless at the same time. Yeah. And Nancy returns for this one, right? Yes, which is very nice because as much as I loved having the first male screen queen, the last one, and I did love it, it's oh. nice to have her back. Coming back as a child psychologist, it, she was in high school in the first movie. It only been like less than three years, I think, since the first Nightmare on Elm Street Nancy's came out. Nancy's got the smarts. She I guess can, so. She She's, can get through that. She went to a magnet school, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Getting those AP class points. And also starring in this movie is a young Patricia Arquette. Yes. And apparently everyone fell in love with Patricia Arquette, literally, while making this movie. She is the Nancy of, of this movie. And I can't blame him because Patricia Arquette is... It's a stone fox. She was pretty dreamy, and uh, I think she's still absolutely, hot. Yeah. yeah. I think she's hotter now. I think it's like you always forget how you feel about Patricia Arquette until you see her again, and then you're like, oh yeah, word. I feel like a lot of those people we fell in love with in the '80s, a lot of those ladies, they were they were older than us, but just by a few years, yeah. And then there was like a middle part in their career where you. They were still doing stuff, but you just didn't kind of see them yeah. that way anymore. And then, I don't know, man, like in the past 10 years, as we've all moved into the 30s and beyond, all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm digging you even more now than I did. Phoebe Cates looks great. Yeah. Jennifer Jason Lee looks great. Yes. Jennifer Beals. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Don't get me started on Jennifer Beals, man. Yeah. I mean, but I'll get, get me started, started on Jennifer Beals. <laughs> And there's a mom character who, I like the way they describe the mom character. They made her be like a character who would have been 
in on burning Freddie. Yeah. In the beginning. Which makes you wonder how, how many parents were involved in the burning of this guy. Like, is this just a, a neighborhood secret that everyone who lives in the area knows about? I guess so. Like the worst kept secret. They or is were, it the best kept secret? Because if it's that many kept. people and their <laughs> kids don't even know that any of this happened, it's pretty impressive. You know, well, for this to work, the police have to be in on it. And they were. And they were. Should have just arrested him. But like I said, I don't know if I approve the methods, but I'm going to keep mowing the lawn, you know. <laughs> it's, I'm going to wave hello. I appreciate the, I mean, everyone does benefit. Yeah. Whether you're actively involved or not, you reap the, you reap the, uh, the, uh, sort the rewards. Of, because Freddie would come back and destroy all your children yeah, in their dreams. Yeah, but they're dreams. your kids, not you. I mean, you're still yeah, alive. <laughs> and then your saying. kids are like, perspective, that, man. That dude you burned, he's in my dreams. Always make more kids. <laughs> <laughs> They talk about how there's a lot of physical props in here. Like a lot of the effects are done very physically where people have to hold like a giant Freddy snake. This movie to me has hands down the best special effects, in my opinion. Four <laughs> comes as a close second. I started to remember a lot of this one. I think this is probably was the one that probably introduced me to the Nightmare series. And I may, went back for the earlier ones and like, you know, when you're a kid, you're not, you don't really give a fuck what order it is. Right. It's just like yeah. Freddy's on that. Continuity doesn't mean anything to no. a 10 year old. And there's scenes of a puppet Freddy who grows and they're in the dude, a marionette in his veins. Yeah. Like, I that's mean, it's just freaky. It's just some really well thought out, creative ways to kill people. Like it's, these surreal dream sequences. They really finally, in this movie, I think they really embraced what his thing is and like how can we take it to the next level as far as. Dreams are weird, so let's make the actual killing of these kids even weirder. There was a scene where one of the actors was carrying an emaciated child prop, and they didn't use it because it looked too scary. I wish they had used it because it looked pretty awesome. This is what I'm every every time you hear about these horror movies, we're like, we did this, and it was too much for people. It's like, well, that's why you use it, right? right? It's like parakeet on a stick. You're okay with that one. Really awesome, well-crafted. Emaciated child. Yeah, which prop. is what you asked for. It wasn't yeah. like you gave him something they didn't ask for. Freddie goes on the Dick Cavett show, and Dick Cavett requests that Freddie kills Jaja because I guess he hated Jaja Gabor. So, yeah. Freddie kills Jaja on this. There's that TV death, one of the most memorable parts of part three. So good. Freddie says the iconic, Welcome to prime time, bitch. Apparently, Robert Enlund added that line. And then, of course, they shoved the character's face into the TV. It's just, them. it's just, I mean, that's probably the most vivid memory I have from that movie is that scene and her body just hanging from the TV when they find her. Like, it's, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> Another scene they cut where the young boy, he, he's being seduced by the sexy nurse and they were supposed to have the nurse turn into Freddy, like have a Freddy head. And they said it didn't work because it wasn't Robert, so it didn't have the same feel. But it looked so fucking creepy. It, it looked really weird because she's completely naked with this gorgeous body. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she's, she's got, got Freddy face. Yeah. Apparently, uh, because apparently, one of the things they wanted to really do with this movie was get back to the bond between kids and how parents don't believe them and how yeah. you should listen to kids and the only people who actually believe you when you have something like this to say are your friends and this a lot of this takes place in, in an adolescent detention center right yeah which apparently was a thing back in the 80s i didn't realize that that was i mean i wasn't of age to that point where i could have 
potentially were, become a problem kid, but they were just teenager prisons, basically yeah, juvenile yeah. halls. And but there were cool scenes where the the one who was like a junkie fought Freddy, like all punked out. But her arm, like the track marks oh, on yeah, her arms, the, the sucking. Yeah, it turned uh, into that little weirded mouth. me out so much when I was a kid. It's a lot of interesting ideas, but and the wheelchair nerd kid and the actor was legitimately a nerd. Yeah, got to be like a wizard and shit. Anybody just dies, like most of them do. The director's name was Chuck. What was his? I can't remember his last. Uh, name. Chuck Russell. A lot of tension on the set. I think this is one of his earliest movies. He he was a huge perfectionist. Apparently, and, he is one of those directors that subscribes to the school of, you know, not encouraging uh providing emotional support for your cast and, right. and getting that performance you want out of them by essentially making them miserable during the shooting of the movie and apparently there was a scene where that took 52 takes with patricia arquette she couldn't remember her lines and it was just uh, one of the uh, particularly stressful scene but at the end there's a junkyard scene or near the end right uh, there's a skeleton fight. Nancy does die at the end of this one, so we lose the original heroine. But God's light, God's light would destroy Freddy. Yes. And last, the last film was gay. This one is Christian. If you're a hardcore Christian, you can watch this film no problem. Which I don't know if I really agree with that assessment. Uh, the most Christian horror movie, and I mean, I guess in the franchise you can call it that, but I didn't really pick up on that context. When I watched it when I was younger, and just, I hadn't. I mean, I just recently watched it and didn't really pick up on that too much. They just applied anti-vampire demon lore and just yeah, threw that it on that, that stuff's kind of silly. I do like the idea. I mean, it's horrible, but the whole bastard of a thousand maniacs. Yeah. The I mean, that nurse poor poor nurse being raped by a hundred different men in an asylum, which right is just fucked it's, up. It's really <laughs> fucked up. But this is when you get the full origin story of freddy krueger yeah. in this movie so there's a lot of good ideas but you know ultimately these movies they're, they're not getting better the nightmare on elm street series just like moments are good and it's hard to get it as a full entirety of like a, oh that's a great film yeah i mean some critics disagree this one was one of the biggest hits in the series and the press was pretty mixed roger ebert said he that it should have been an x-rated film because he feels like it is marketed towards kids and there's just a lot of i guess fucked up violence or nudity i what they didn't really unpack a lot of what he meant by that and yeah I, I mean for from from my recollection there's no more in this one than any other of the, this you know the genre during that time so i don't see what the big deal was about this movie i think a lot of this just happened to be i mean you could call them shady because after the fourth one they do seem to market directly to kids in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think that's a reaction to kids just for some reason being drawn to these slasher movies in this series. But an important note, did you know that the official band of the documenteers is Dokken? I did know that, Bobby. In uh, Heavy Metal Parking Lot, Dawkins gets mentioned. Yeah. And we verify that they are the official band in that episode. Dawkins appears for the first time in a Documenteers episode. It's pretty big stuff. In this one, because they deal. they did the Dream Warriors song. The Dream Warriors. Which is an amazing song. And maybe tonight, maybe tonight you'll be gone. 
if you like your uh, your lead singers sound like that their balls have been yanked and shoved up inside their abdomen over and over again, this is the song for you because the lead singer, the register's so high. Rob Halford can get away with it. Bruce Dickinson can kind of yeah. get away with it. I don't know. I've given Dawkins a try. No, what I mean to say is that they're the best band because they're the official band of Documenteers. I don't. I, I've got nothing but love for Dokken. Yeah. I mean, they were always. They kind of struck me as the hair band that just couldn't quite get where they needed to be <laughs> to really be established as a metal band. Dawkins' motto is, at least we're not winger. What's wrong with winger, man? How sweet. Fresh meat. That's a great line from one of those movies, too. Now, Freddy's getting very hyped. It seems to be getting harder to make these films, but the Freddy movies just seem to be making more and more money. And they get the uh, the director, Rennie Harland, to direct part four, The Dream Master. You know Rennie Harland. He did Die Hard 2, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, Cliffhanger, Cutthroat Island. <laughs> These are all great movies. Deep Blue Sea. You remember that one? Deeper Blue or My Hat is Like a Shark's Fin? Oh, <laughs> Cool J line, the long kiss, good night. Yeah, he's just a kind of known for campy action. I feel like he redeemed himself uh, from killing off Kincaid in the fourth movie by allowing LL Cool J's character to survive through the end of, of Deep Blue, Blue Sea. sea. <laughs> yes, I feel like that was him sort of apologizing to the African-American community <laughs> about the swiftness with which he kills one of the characters from the third movie. Because King Kane and the actor who plays him points out, like, I told my family, you know, don't get too settled. Yeah, don't, don't get popcorn, popcorn. Don't get drinks. I'll be dead before you even <laughs> hit the seat. Now, Bob Shea, you know, the big wig at New Line, he is hating on Rennie. Says he can't even speak English. There was a script that was started, but then there was a writer's strike. And they kind of had to piecemeal a lot of random stuff because they couldn't hire any formal writers. Yeah, apparently there was a lot of making it up as you go on this movie. Rennie was taking a lot of inspiration from Hong Kong action style. There was a lot of silly and interesting effects in this one. But he kept want, he kept comparing Freddy to like James Bond of said that Freddy was like the James Bond of horror. Yeah, why did they keep describing Freddy as a hero in this movie? Because I don't remember that being the case. Yeah, there's a part where he kills someone in a beach setting and he puts on sunglasses like Freddy like Tom Cruise. It's like, oh no. There's nothing that makes a horror character more terrifying than putting them on a beach in broad daylight with sunglasses. Apparently, Freddy gets resurrected because a dog uh, pisses <laughs> fire onto his bones. As dogs are wont to do. I'm not sure. I don't know that I've actually seen the fourth movie. I think that might be where I parted ways with the franchise. <laughs> that I didn't really care about it that much, but... I was surprised that New Line actually decided to just let this guy who hadn't really done much of anything take over this franchise, which at this point had generated more money with each movie. It just seemed like a really yeah. weird... He's seen as a young upcoming director who did some things on a cult level. Yeah. Marvel kind of did that as well with their movies. Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. They got uh, like the Guardians director. Why am I forgetting all of their names right now? But the guy, guy did Thor. Thor Ragnarok. From... Uh, New Zealand, right? Yeah, he, it's killing me. Yeah, I know. Why are we even talking about it if we I can't know. even name yeah. it? But it's good. And he did. Google he it. did things we do in the dark, which is one of 
one of the probably the best vampire comedy out there. But it's, I mean, it, it, it's just surprising. I mean, they were def, they were going specifically for, I guess, the MTV generation with this movie. Robert Inland mentions he says MTV style because he wasn't into it at first, and then he realized it had an MTV angle. Every time Robert Inland says MTV, do a shot of heroin. <laughs> And every time we say pedophile, snort a gram of cocaine. Uh, there was a character cast. Her name was Sheila. She was the first black woman character in a, in a nightmare movie, I believe. I love that they introduced every other character. You know, they do this They do this thing in, in, in the documentary where with each movie, when they start talking about the film and they start talking about the cast, they do this close-up of the script. And they use yeah. like a sentence or two description of the characters the person that plays that role reads that everyone else gets a name when they do their description yeah but for this character sheila it's just black girl she's talking about doing this scene and she gets she, she has a school desk death scene when robert was standing over her doing his lines and like poking her with real knife hands or whatever his dentures fell out and fell into her mouth well, he was kissing her he remember he kissed oh. yeah she he left pinpricks under her chin with the glove because they had to do close up, so they had to use the real thing. Uh, and then he kisses her, grabs her face, and kisses her. And apparently, the dentures he was wearing, Freddie's teeth, fell into her mouth, and various food stuffs that may have been stuck in between the teeth. Ugh. That's so gross. Now, Rennie, he uh, he apparently tells her she has to reshoot all of it because he says to her, and I quote, and this offended her for obvious reasons that you don't sound like a black girl. And they got in a big argument about it. She's right. He's wrong. He's passing off. He kind of passed the buck on this to Bob Shea. Because it does sound like something you could easily pin on Bob Shea. But it's Rennie that did it. She seemed to be diplomatic about... She talked about how Rennie later came to her and apologized. But Rennie's kind of being very vague about it. Yeah, it it. seems like, dude, if if at the end of the day, you realized that she was... Yeah. That you were wrong and she was right and you copped to that back in the day, why are you being so uh, evasive about it 15-something years later? I don't trust trust Rennie. He's shady. The Finns. You can't trust the Finns. Mouth soaked in reindeer blood. (laughs) Wow. There was was an (laughs) L... Elevator death scene becomes a martial arts scene because they ran out of money. And this is like, <laughs> I think, considered one of the dumbest deaths in the oh, whole yeah. franchise where this dude who knows martial arts isn't really even using martial arts and is getting beat up by an invis- invisible Freddy. <laughs> and Freddy isn't even in the Probably scene. Probably not even in the scene. But there's other things going on. Like there's a cool waterbed scene. Uh, one of the characters falls into a movie. And the cockroach, ca- that's my favorite death scene in the movie is the cockroach. Yeah, she, a girl turns into a giant cockroach. And, um, and I do remember that, so I guess maybe I have seen this movie. There's another scene where angelic children, they inspire the heroine of the film, and the souls in Freddy seek out and destroy him. And this was done with this giant Freddy chest prop. We're painted up naked people. We're having a like real people are writhing around in this giant Freddy chest. Yeah, that's a pretty cool uh, prop they use for that it, movie. It, it did look cool, but the damn thing Until it collapsed. Fell. <laughs> and this woman who was operating things on the rafters got thrown off. Got thrown <laughs> off the rafters. Bob Shea, he's barely communicating with Rennie. He doesn't even want to hire Rennie, but he's convinced otherwise. He stressed the fuck out. Until this movie becomes the highest grossing in the franchise. Which I did not know. I assumed three was going to be the highest grossing one. And not just that. 
this movie gets favorable reviews more so than the last yeah. couple. Now, Freddy is fully in the zeitgeist of American culture. Yeah, he has officially entered the pop culture lexicon at that he, point. Yeah, people who know have never seen a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, they can reference Freddy. They understand the id of Freddy and what he represents. And now that pedophilic nature of him is getting put to the backside. Because kids want cool Freddy Krueger dolls. Wouldn't you want your uh, five-year-old dressed in Freddy Krueger pajamas? <laughs> Yay. It's like having the pedophile right there in bed with you. <laughs> this is the aspect, the history of this franchise that I remember firsthand because it worked on me. I wanted this stuff. I, I wanted to watch all these Freddy movies and Jason movies and Halloweens and I bought into this shit. And there's a Fetty of Fetty. <laughs> Fetty, Fetty, Wop. <laughs> Fetty Wops in this movie representing the Remy boys. They got this soda. Remy boys ain't no Not really contributing much to what they're talking about. Uh, but there's a Freddy Krueger Fat Boys rap. It's time for Freddy. See, I'm a popular guy. If you don't know yet, you're gonna find out why. Which I vaguely remember. I think this is my favorite thing. I'm, I can't wait to listen to all these themed Freddy yeah. nightmares. Because the only one I remember the one with Dokken. I can't remember which movie it is, but I feel like there is a Fresh Prince nightmare on my street. He comes to me a night after I call into bed. He's burnt up like a weenie and his name is Fred. I yeah. can't remember which movie that's for. Yeah. But yeah, once when you get to that point where you've got theme songs and you're starring in the music videos, like, I don't even know what to say about the franchise at that point. It, but there was a Call Freddy hotline. This, these were big when we were oh, younger. Oh, yeah, the 1-900 where numbers. Where you could call and just chat. It was a total ripoff. The first minute would be very cheap, but nothing, a minute's not long. You'd be charged like four bucks a minute yeah. after that. What, what are you going to talk to fucking Freddy about? I don't even think. Did you ever call any of those numbers? No, there's. Um, I, I would have gotten like yeah, literally gotten, gotten like beat. belted. Yeah, if my for mom a got full the day phone bill. If I ever saw did that, like yeah, there was. So, I mean, every I remember there being a new kids on the block one. Like every any art where there was a singer, maybe somebody had a TV show, a pedophile, anyone who was popular, they had their own one nine hundred number. And it was just, you would get pre-recorded stuff is what you yeah, would yeah. happen when you would call. Which is probably preferable because you don't want some Freddy Krueger imitating creep <laughs> fall into like some phone sex trap. <laughs> Different or, kind of 1-900 number. Or better for it not to exist at all. This was pre-Cleo. Call me now. <laughs> call me now. <laughs> call me now. Why can't we revamp Cleo? All aspects of our youth are... And coming back, she died about a year ago, so I don't think we can revive. No, we can Cleo. we can pr do a new Miss Cleo, a the movie, no, a you series. Can, you cannot do a new a Miss Netflix, Cleo, man. A Netflix series, Miss Cleo, she made her mark. I didn't realize oh, you were so hung up on one thing. The Cleo uh, one, one, I don't know if, uh, if anyone even cares about this, but I didn't realize that in the fourth movie, they replaced Patricia Arquette's character with another person. I always thought that that was just a different character. Oh, yeah. But it's actually... Oh, it actually is meant to be that yeah, character? Yeah, she's meant to be Patricia Arquette. They should have just made it a different character. I felt bad for that actor because everyone who referenced that role were like, we really miss Patricia. I know. We didn't really have the bond we with, with Tuesday night. Yeah, Tuesday night. There was no chemistry. I think everyone was just so in love with Patricia. Yeah. 
But and, yeah, why not just write her out of the script? I, yeah, it's not like everyone from the previous movie was in the next. The non-existent script. The non-existent script. Apparently, they didn't have to begin with. So, well, yeah. Well, let's get on to the the next two. Let's do it. I can't remember what the names of any of the movies are moving forward. <laughs> so this will all be. It'll be pretty it'll be fresh. New. Yeah. It's a <laughs> I don't know if I ever saw this. I, I no. But there was apparently a Nightmare on Elm Street TV series called Freddy's oh, Nightmare. Yeah, I used to watch that every week. It was syndicated, so there were there had been a Friday the Thirteenth series mm. that had come out that was also syndicated. Had nothing to do with the movie. Like it was an antique shop, it, and there were all the, all the antiques were possessed by some by, by Satan basically, and the, every episode was getting one of those antiques back we're talking like an anthology series yeah. like tales from the crypt twilight zone exactly but it was a cash grab and everyone kind of acknowledged that while we had a lot of fun making it it was just a blatant cash grab yeah apparently a lot of directors kind of cut their teeth on yeah. that show including the directors that we meet who direct some of the next ones they said up to episode five it was pretty interesting and scary and then after that, it was like everyone was throwing anything against the wall. It's funny during during this part, I actually got on immediately got on my phone and started looking up to see like, has this ever been released on DVD? Because I think I kind of want to see it, <laughs> and it has not. Kinda wow, you out. figured it's out there somewhere. You would think so. Freddie is super huge, and there's a part where he's wishing happy birthday to someone who's working on the film. It says happy birthday, Robin, and like eats flowers yeah. and stuff. That was pretty cool, though. I mean, I I can totally see like, what the guy said that Oliver, she was like a rock star at school. The show would air at four in the afternoon in some parts of the country. And considering it was like a gross horror themed yeah. anthology, like a sl it's not like intellectual psychology of the Twilight right. Zone. It's just slasher fiction. Yeah, and they're doing some crazy stuff because at this point. Uh, the people over at New Line, they're not even paying attention anymore. <laughs> and so they just, after a few episodes, they just sort of just cut loose and did whatever the hell they wanted to. After the cancellation, the crew went on to work on Tales from the Crypt. Another great anthology. Well, a great anthology yeah. series. Definitely <laughs> on the better side of it. There was a lot of crap in that show, but there was actually a lot of stuff that was a lot of fun as well. I was more of a, we didn't have cable. At least we didn't have, because that came on with HBO, I feel like, initially. Yeah, it did. Um. I was a big fan of uh, Tales from the Dark Side. That was my favorite anthology series from that period. I think for a minute, Tales from the Crypt was homogenized a little bit, like syndicated, but like a lot of stuff was cut out. Yeah, I do. That's when I saw it was when it was aired in reruns late mm -hmm. night. Remember Monsters? Remember that anthology show? No, it was it was the bottom barrel. Man, they haven't been able to make anthology shows work in a long time. Dark Mirror, Black Mirror, oh Black Mirror, yeah, yeah, yeah I, that's a I've, good one. I've yet to watch. It. It's good. Hmm. Yeah, you should definitely check it out. It's not horror, though. Now we move on to part five. They call it Dream Child. And the one of the producers openly admits to conceptualizing this from dealing with her kid, who she described had an omen quality. <laughs> that's, that's what every 
adult kid wants to hear their parents say about them in a documentary. And this movie had a lot of screenwriters on it. You, you notice though that's starting to increase the yeah. amount of screenwriters. And uh, these two guys, they wrote a movie they were pretty proud of. And New Line is like, you wrote this like it was a cube, like if Stanley Kubrick did a nightmare film. And they were like, yeah, yeah. And they were like, oh, well, you're fired. That's not what we want. Freddy's corny now. But they had a job to make Freddy scary again for part five. And there's a plot where, um, gosh, I'm getting all the leads confused. Is this, uh, who is this? Who had the baby? Who was pregnant? Alice? It was Alice. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, apparently. the, uh, <laughs> I say apparently too much. Because apparently. <laughs> Some about Alice's fetus absorbs souls of dead friends of other Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Boy, this plot is real. It's so convoluted. Yeah, I don't uh, think they really pulled off even explaining it because <laughs> also Freddy's background comes up, like Freddy's daddy and all that shit. Yeah. And there's like a a madhouse, a scene of madhouse maniacs raping a nun. It's, I've never discussed this shit so much in such a weird, in such a context yeah. that isn't like played up to just be incredibly tragic or sad. Right, yeah. It's like a camp horror Exactly. Way. And it's like, oh, we'll make the nurse get raped by 10,000 people. It's and like, the number oh. keeps exponentially going up too <laughs> yeah. with, each, with each movie. It's like, what the fuck? But the, they were talking about how the makeup wasn't as tight as it had been. New Line's trying to pump out more. And even though the movies have continuously gotten even more profitable. Yeah, it's funny to me how a lot of, um, particularly during that time period, 80s into the 90s, where you had these film series that were pulling in tons of money. So you would think the reaction would be, Let's more. put some more money into this next one so yeah. we can, you know, make more. But a lot of these series, they'll hit a peak where they're, you know, whatever sequel has made a ton of money. And then they start putting less money into it, which makes no sense to me. Uh, Not I, a problem with the Fast and the Furious I, movies. I, because they think people will just like, like, if we make this lesser, we can make more money when everyone goes to see it. Yeah. But they're ruining. Exactly. But, but like any executive, they're not creative forces. They're just. They're, they just throw around the money. Yep. They, they're they not, they're not, they don't know how to make movies. They just know how to hand money. And the the irony is now we have the opposite problem. They put so much money into yeah. sequels that it just becomes bloated yeah. and overdone. Yeah, to the point where you're getting CGI things of, I hate it when they CGI like everyday animals. Yeah. It's like, could you not just find a pig? Unless the elephant is going to be doing a backflip, you just get an animal. I think a lot of that also has to do with the public's perception of using animals, Maybe. filming scenes and movies and TV shows. They're pretty good about, like, they're nicer to animals. They have to be nicer to animals than they are, like, kids a lot of times in shots, but... I don't know. Maybe somehow CGI technology is it's now so it's common. Cheaper. It's probably cheaper. I mean, if you yeah. think of the CGI that we see regularly on shows like The Flash, and I mean, compare those special effects to movies 15 years ago, they're on the, I mean, the same level. Like, and TV is notoriously way less expensive to shoot than films. And we're in an era of like physical sets and props. And now it's just like, the set is a giant green screen. Exactly. But uh, Alice has a baby. It's a creepy alien-looking baby that's <laughs> going to grow into Freddy. But also, there's a young boy involved. Who, I'm not even sure what role he plays in this movie. Yeah. I didn't really get into that I get, I just assume, I vaguely remember this. It looks movies. like he starts to turn into Freddy at some point, but then... 
this He's responsible for bringing Freddy down? I don't really understand that. But there's lots of script rewrites. They were yeah. talking about how they couldn't even bother to memorize lines because they would change like every day. There was a lot of sets and they'd be in different. There was stories worth of sets. Like you could walk down some stairs and be in the dream fetus set and walk up here <laughs> into like a bedroom set. It was kind of interesting how they made all that work. That sounds like a pretty awesome place to work. <laughs> yeah. The the designer, the guy who drew a lot of the concept stuff, big comic book guy, big, really Giger inspired. And he gets interviewed a lot for this movie. Mm -hmm. He's kind of the prime voice talking about the motivations and the drives of this movie. But the problem is there was a lot of cool shit that just got cut. Like there was a motorcycle scene where the motorcycle, the wiring like takes over one of the characters and rips into him and turns him into like some weird cyborg looking zombie. Yeah, I kind of wish they, because they touched on, they spent a lot of time about that and they kept cutting to the split screens where they would show here's what the re the released version looked like. And here's some of the unedited. Yeah. But you only got like a few seconds. Talk about these really awesome scenes. If you've got them, show me what was yeah. originally shot. Like they don't, they give you two or three seconds max and then they cut to something else. I guess studio sensors or some organization, because there is some organization out there that is like, you can't put that in a movie. No, yeah. they're really like wrecking the creepiness of this movie. There was another of the character Greta who was supposed to have an eating disorder. And so her death nightmare was being stuffed full of food. Yeah. And it was actually pretty cool. The actress had prosthetic pics and just hanging out with like this, these huge, huge cheeks that are supposed to, <laughs> they wouldn't let her eat at first. And then by the end it's like, I'm fucking hungry and ate some spaghetti with red sauce. And the spaghetti sauce was like pooling oh, in so the prosthetic gross. by her mouth. And there's like a comic book death scene where this kid gets sliced, turns into a 2D comic page and gets sliced up. He was straight out of a aha take on me, very much of an homage. Yeah, the director, he was, I mean, throwing up a lot of just on set, spur of the moment storyboards. Like he's just drawing these storyboards out comic book style. And they had a good artist who could work quick. Yeah. So they really took a lot of advantage of that. But Alice battles Freddy. But Alice, her face turns into Freddy's face, and then their their faces get entwined. And they ask the kid, the actor who's playing the kid, like, how would you kill Freddy? Because they didn't even know. They're, like, just doing it off the top of their head. And he's like, I, 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 I barf on him, and a barf goes through him, and the barf has heads on it. And, yeah, that's how Freddy gets killed. <laughs> Probably the worst reviewed uh, night, I almost said Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street movie out there. And it was a hit, but it did not hit the three and four levels right. of profitability. They, a lot of it was like had abortion themes and shit. And one guy called it, it was like the Juno of horror. Yeah, apparently the producer, one of the producers, I guess, was going through some shit or I don't know. Yeah. But that became an overriding thing for the yeah, entire movie. It all just seems like a mess, like this didn't work. <laughs> But it's interesting to see some not work, and yet there is a lot of personal shit that it's is like, driving. It's like they're saying, if you if you don't get an abortion, your child could turn out to be Freddy <laughs> Krueger's. Damn, this isn't pro choice. <laughs> this is pro abortion. <laughs> we go to part six, and uh, a young man by the name of Peter Jackson, maybe you've heard of him, and his buddy Danny, they write a script for part six. Call it Dream Lover. About a, a a sad Freddy where kids make themselves go to sleep 
so they can go pick on Freddy. I love that premise. <laughs> because he's such a loser. That's so interesting to me. Like, sad Freddy. Like, oh. And then supposedly Freddy managed to kill someone and it gives him energy. Yeah. And, and then he's back in the game. It's like Freddy gets his groove back. Kind of. <laughs> yes, that would have been a great title for this movie. <laughs> yes. Versus uh, Dream Lover, which uh, turned out to be a Mariah Carey song. <laughs> a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 6. Freddie gets his groove back. Which came first, Dream Lover, the title for this proposed movie, or Dream Lover, the song by Mariah Carey? <laughs> That's like mid-90s, right? Dream yeah. Lover? Yeah. Dream Lover, come rescue me. I'm not sure. Take me home. Take me down. Take me anywhere you want to, baby, now. What year this I, movie came out? I think this is pre- Dream Lover. I hope so. That's my guess. If they named that movie Dream Lover after the Mariah song, song. been a hit. <laughs> I don't know, man. But uh, Rachel Talloway, she contributed to this script writing because there's no, there's not just, there's no less than three people writing these scripts, <laughs> but changed it to Freddy's Dead. Which is, this is one of the ones I probably watched quite a bit. And she ended up directing the film. She also worked on the show when that was on the air. I've well. never seen this one before. This is the one that had Roseanne and Tom Arnold in it. I knew they were in one, but I never actually saw the one that they were in. This one involves outcast teens, homeless shelters. We talked to uh, the actress who plays Tracy. I think they said her name was Rachel. Doll? Les- Leslie Dean. That's the, that's the actress. I think that's the actress's name. Was that the name of the... Yeah, that's her name. Now, Leslie Dean, everyone is just kind of in their normal clothes. Leslie Dean is dressed like a bloody goth Man, doll. I saw that. And she, she's like got all this stuff on, but she's just talking like a normal person. And then she's got this lady next to her. Putting her... She has her head rested kind of on her yeah, lap. Her, yeah, and it, she's just not saying anything. She's not, just staring into the camera. Staring directly into the camera. It's the weirdest shit. This is what I hope this is. Some kind of like Dom fetish scenario, right? That's her girlfriend or wife. That's her lover at at the very least. And they have this kind of very out in the open. And they're also both obsessed with horror. So they have this weird sexual bond. And And she takes her everywhere. She just... Because that makes me... I want to think that because that makes Leslie a baller in my eyes. (laughs) And I kind versus of, what? What's the what's the alternative? That, I, that maybe uh, maybe a more practical thought is that she was shooting a movie, and they were like, "Oh, we were just shooting this movie. I was in this nightmare on Elm Street movie. Yeah, I'll talk to you. I'm still wearing my makeup." But then why the other person? She's on it too, and they're just putting it on, being <laughs> silly, having fun. But in my mind, Leslie's a baller. That's her love. Yeah, I like I like option. And they're one. very open about their yeah. uh, creepy horror doll fetish. Yeah. I think I think it's that one. That's what I want it to be. <laughs> Leslie, if you're listening, let us know. Yeah, yeah we really would like to know uh, more about your backstory. Yeah, yeah. We're, there's no judgment either. No, we, not at all. Whatever you say, so long as you're not like a Freddy Stompedo or anything like that, <laughs> we support 100%. Absolutely. I don't know. You seem cool to us. Yeah. We're intrigued. That's Healthy all we're relationships. That's what it's all about. Whatever's healthy for you. Now, there's like a very loose John Waters connection to these movies because New Line put out some John Waters movies. And also a lot of people, the crew members who worked with John Waters, have also worked on this Nightmare on Elm Street movie. But this, and Divine was even going to appear in this movie, but 
she had passed away by the time filming had begun. That would have been great. That would have been a great way to start the movie off. Now, Freddy's style is like a Looney Tunes cartoon. I loved those cartoons when I was a kid. I was obsessed with them. One of the interesting things that, and it actually is smart for a horror movie to tap into it, when you're watching the old school cartoons, I mean, they're all animated, so you're removed in a way. It's more appealed to laughter. When you see the reality of things, like doing Looney Tunes Dropping type an stuff. an anvil on someone's head. It is, like, <laughs> kind of terrifying. But also... Looney Tunes are violent as shit. It's one of the great things about them. They had this idea in the last movie. They wanted to genuinely make Freddy scary again. But at this point, Freddy just talks too much. Yeah. That's just how it is. And now he's... And now he's Bugs Bunny by part six, pretty much, like an evil Bugs Bunny. Dragging spikes across the road. There's head explosions. Uh, anything that the kids are into is utilized as a death scene in this movie. A lot of TV watching, video games. I'd where, forgotten about the power glove. Yeah, where Freddy says, great graphics. Great graphics. <laughs> no, I'm playing with power. The uh, character of Tracy, I think she's played by someone named Rachel. I get there's so many names going on here. I'm probably fucking up a lot of this, but she was set up to be the daughter of Freddie. The no, that's Lisa Zane playing Maggie. Oh, yeah, Jesus! I know there's so many people at this point. <laughs> I mean, we're five. We're what three hours in right now? <laughs> this movie. This is probably why I thought the pedo thing was more later because this one plays that up with Freddie quite a bit. Yeah. But also there's Alice Cooper plays Freddie's abusive dad in like some flashback scenes. There's a guy who plays a young Freddie who did a really good job, apparently. There's all kinds of flashback scenes. One of Freddie before he got burned up, uh, where his daughter's watching him splatter her mom's head against a <laughs> yeah. shed or That's something. That's great. That's good stuff. They mention Brecken Myers in this movie, but they never say what character he plays. Uh, and he has no involvement hmm. in this part of the movie at all. Huh. I, I have no idea. He's the only person that you actually even heard of, really, who's in that movie. I guess Yafik Koto was in it as well. Uh, so that's a known actor. But I just found it funny. They were like, Brecken Meyer, yeah, we were real tight. What is Brecken Meyer in? Uh, remember the guy in Clueless who plays the, uh, oh, he's a skater guy in Clueless. I think, I think I do know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but Brecken, <laughs> if you're listening, give us a call, man. Why weren't you Documenters in the documentary? podcast at yeah. Gmail. You too good for a, a four-hour <laughs> documentary about Nightmare Before Elm Street movies? I'm just saying. 3D was making its cyclical comeback around this time, so they put in a 3D theme. So people were confused as to when to put the glasses on because old school ones would flash to put your glasses on. And this one, it just looked like the screen was just splitting or your TV was separating color and people would be like, oh, what do I do? Do I put this on now? We're not talking about the relatively not shitty 3D of 2018. This is still the paper, red cellophane, blue yeah. cellophane glasses. I, so this Our fairly recent cycle of 3D was pretty strong, but I feel like it's starting to fade back a little now again. I'm not a fan. Yeah, I get, I, I get a headache. Yeah. You have to hit that sweet spot in the theater. You got to sit like right in the middle. If you're not there, then everything's going to look off. It just seems easier not to do it and cheaper. Much cheaper. And my movie, my movie pass doesn't cover it. So, <laughs> well, I hear movie pass isn't covering too much these days. Oh, you're going to date the podcast, Bobby. It's supposed <laughs> to be eternal, man. Yeah. <laughs> By the time this episode comes out, movie pass will have been just been shot into the sun. <laughs> And everyone will have sworn never to mention it. But Freddy fights his daughter. She's in a big fight. She crams dynamite into his chest. 
and he gets blown up and that's how he died. But at this point, it's like, it seems like Freddy's just omnipotent and it's, it's just going to come back. It's such a lame way to put, supposedly put that character to death. I mean, he's had way more interesting deaths than the other yeah. movies. The movie does well, picks up a little bit from the last one. Maybe not your peak numbers because nothing's bigger than three or four, but, uh, but it did all right. But they also were pushing the marketing of Freddy actually being dead. Right. So when people would talk about this movie, they'd be like, look, Freddy, he's dead. I think it's kind of like when you find out that a relative you don't hardly see is about to die. Yeah. So you want to go see him before. Yeah. I think it's kind of the same thing. And they actually did a funeral for Freddy where past members and crew from the <laughs> history of the franchise would go and visit. And it's the most well-attended funeral for a pedophile ever. On yeah. Record. Yeah, Absolutely. Let's finish this shit up again. All right, man. We're in the home stretch. Yep. Let's do it. Please, God. This is God. We are back. <laughs> Dick balls. That's my test. That's that's uh, that's my audio test. Dick balls. Dick balls. We just finished this four-hour movie. We Thanks. did it, baby. Thanks, kill. Do you feel vindicated after what I put you through? I think that we are. We are equal at this point. We're even. Yeah. This <laughs> <laughs> pinky swear to never do anything like this to one another. Oh, I don't know if I can make uh... that promise. It may just be, it may Damn. be more fun to listen to fuck. if we do fuck with each other. <laughs> Maybe for the sake of entertainment. I'm pink and square like, yeah, let's keep it simple the we next a couple A brief times. respite the next go around <laughs> before we embark on the next one. Now we're approaching 10 years since the first Nightmare on Elm Street came out. They crammed a lot of movies into... Six movies in 10 years. Yeah. Some movies were just the next year, which is insane. I know. I think nowadays it usually takes a couple years to churn out your sequels. They got to a point where they were, I mean, they were seeing movie posters and announcing the release date for the next movie yeah. before, which I guess is not uncommon at this point, but one was less than a year yeah. away from the one previous. So it's like, wow. I was looking at an old comic book and on the back of it is an advertisement for Wayne's World 3. There was a Wayne's World 3? There wasn't, oh, but it was okay. advertising for it and it never came out, but really? it was on the back of a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> Where like a hand up with the three, also like a W, Wayne's World 3. Oh, nice. Never happened, though. Never. I feel like there was a Wayne's World 3. It, it was a two. I know, but I feel like there was, am I thinking of something else where, oh, I'm thinking of Dumb and Dumb, Dumber, Dumb and Dumber, or Dumber and Dumberist, or whatever the, yeah, yeah. Too Dumb, Too Furious, I can't remember <laughs> what the, that sequel was. Rise of the Machines. Way the after that movie was past its prime. Now, Wes... He hasn't had much control over his franchise since the early days, and he's, over the years, not been happy about it and has made it known. So Bob Shea calls Wes, and he's like, let's bury the hatchet. Why don't we work on a, a, a new one? For the 10th anniversary of the franchise, they actually go kind of deep, and they transfer a lot of the logic of the first film to this new movie, this new idea called New Nightmare. Was it just called New Nightmare? Wes Craven's New Nightmare. That's right. It's a big deal because that's that was their way of announcing that you know, he was back. back, yeah. And Heather gets cast in it. She was Tina. She died, I believe, in the third film. Heather uh, Clayman, right? I wrote I wrote her name like 
20 pages many pages back it's it's something weird to pronounce Lagenkamp. Lagenkamp. Camp. Lagen Camp. She Why? played Nancy. Yeah, yeah. Not Tina. Lagen Camp. So many characters. God, I get we, it. We, we have hit character <laughs> fatigue. Because each movie is an ensemble cast. And you and most of these people you don't see <laughs> right. again after. So it's kind of hard to keep up. And she plays herself as like a horror author. Or I never knew They didn't really explain much it that about, well. So this is what the premise of this movie, which I, I remember the movie coming out, but at that point I long ago drifted off of franchise want to see this one because as they were saying the description i was thinking well this is a predecessor for scream like and then later on they west craven actually says it was a predecessor for scream they're playing themselves the actors who portrayed the characters so you see robert england being robert england heather langenkamp all of them playing themselves but then freddie becomes real i don't know how that happens but manifests into the real world there's a lot of insider hollywood sequelitis like a lot of sort of inside mm. jabs at the industry the, the they're movie. definitely making like grown-up commentary yeah about the history of themselves and the industry they all work in it made me really want to see it i've never seen this movie before yeah it looks very interesting we i should think do it i want to do an l sheet marathon in some <laughs> yeah i it, this doing this has made me open to it yeah yeah maybe not a marathon heather's has there's a child actor playing heather's kid this kid was around a lot in these days i think he was on Full House. Yeah, I remember seeing his face floating around going through various TV shows. He was a kid in Kindergarten Cop that said, Boys have a penis, girls have vagina. Is that the same kid? Yeah, that's the same kid. They made this kid cry. His father did. For a scene, the father whispered in the kid's ear, Your mother's dead. (laughs) Some fucked up shit, man. Man, if you're trying to push a child actor... You're essentially throwing one on the burn pile, you know? That's <laughs> essentially what you're doing, the way some of these child actor parents are, or the horror stories you hear. I mean, that's horrible. Remember in Bruno, which isn't a great movie, but there's a scene where he's playing a casting agent for, and he's trying to cast kids, and he's asking these fucked up questions like, would you be open to your child getting liposuction to trim up a little bit? <laughs> Maybe make sure they don't eat very much for the next month. And the parents will be like, oh, yeah, whatever we got to do, whatever we got to do. <laughs> and there's so many cases of child actors growing up to be totally fucked. I mean, we see the adult version of this kid. He seems okay. Yeah, he but, seems all right. But we don't know shit about him. That's he true. totally whacked. But I have to say, they, the, the father told the director that, you know, there's something I can do. We don't like to do it very often, which means they've done it before. Yeah. It's been done multiple times. Cause like technically it's abusive. Yeah. But at the same time, he falls for it every time, which yeah. is just like, come on kid. I mean, after the first two, the first one, like, yeah, that's, that's on them. But the second time moving forward, that's come on. Yeah. He had to do it one more time on the set of full house. And he was like, <laughs> stand aside, Bob Saget. <laughs> Seriously, your mother is dead this time. <laughs> I'm not I'm not bullshitting this time, son. Let's just do this scene. Let's just get through this. We'll go to the coroner's office, identify the body. Let's <laughs> move forward with our lives. But yeah, it's the fourth wall kind of thing where Freddy exists within the, the world as a pop culture icon. And like you said, manifests itself in reality. So there's scenes where like the the... The iconographic image of Freddy is being represented by fandom of kids wearing like Freddy costumes. Yeah. 
That's creepy. I know. <laughs> Kids wearing Freddy outfits. That's creepier. That's creepier than Freddy Krueger himself. But so many have done it and will continue to do it. There was a guy. He had a ball scratching stand in. He had to have a guy come in. He had. They couldn't just settle for his ball scratching. That seems so weird to me. It seems like such an unnecessary expense in a movie to bring someone in specifically to scratch their balls. They built a park in the actor kid's backyard. And, and and that actor kid still has all that equipment back there probably today. Yeah, he had they I guess they bought it and it's been in his backyard ever since he was a kid. He took it with him to his house as an adult. I'm not sure if that's weird or not, but there's a Freddy Hellscape. There's a scene where the protagonist jabs him in the eye with an eel and there's more like freddy tongue attacks we've seen like three or four that's of these a recurring theme in, in these movies yeah so i don't know what's up with that either someone has some serious i don't know fetish stuff going on <laughs> i love the part where there's a scene where freddy's mouth gets big and he's trying oh, to and eat the kid's the kid. hand is like but we yeah. see like the the side like the making of shot right. and this like which always looks like, ridiculous slowly moving his head <laughs> like a giant prosthetic mouth yeah by the time we get to this movie nancy's head is just completely wrapped in a tongue yeah like the, the tongue has gotten longer and longer in every movie and i don't yeah i don't know what that's all about Somebody needs some therapy. This movie comes out in 94, and it gets actually really good reviews. A lot of critics connected with this and understood the themes of the movie, but it tanked at the box office. Yeah. It didn't do very well. Ain't that the fucking case, you know? Well, I mean, at that point, I, I have to say that I remember thinking, well, wasn't the last one the last one? Yeah. You yeah. know, so it's like even, yes, Wes Craven's attached right. to it, but at this point, it's beyond milking the cow. Like you've, you're milking the cow and then you're chopping the cow up and selling the meat off. I mean, it's, yeah. Like, yeah. The Freddy's Dead stuff was fun at the time, but yeah, now it's, you know, people are already turned off before they even go to the theater. Yeah. But this movie also opened up next to juggernauts like Pulp Fiction, which became a cult success. And Forrest Gump, that was the year of Forrest Gump. That movie was never huge. seen either. Oh my gosh. No, I'm joking. Really? <laughs> <laughs> They got. How's it feel, Bobby? Have you been to? How's it feel? <laughs> oh, I feel like I got. I really got egg on my face. <laughs> I've always wanted to go to a Bubba Gump's lately. I don't know if there's Did one. Did I not tell you the story of Shmeen and I going to Bubba Gump Shrimp? Did you say it on in Gatlinburg on Mike? No, 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 no. Yeah, we. Uh, I'm really worried that I keep saying the same stories over and over again. <laughs> your, your, pers your personal life and your pot life cast <laughs> crossing over. Yeah. <laughs> but I appreciate everyone just politely standing there while I say it again. Nope, never heard that one before. <laughs> Please continue. Go ahead, Bob. Uh, no, you should definitely check it out. It's uh, If you love Forrest Gump, yeah, yeah. this is the restaurant for you. You know, when I when you're a kid uh, during that time, Forrest Gump was like considered like a deep movie in a lot of ways. And like people thought it was like, oh, wow, the way it goes through history and the it's about love and hope and how a simple man can make a big difference in the world. And I think as an adult, you look back on that movie and it's kind of fucking ridiculous. <laughs> like it's almost like a comedy when you look back on it and you kind of enjoy it in a completely different way. But the Bubba Gump, they have dishes named after, like, Forrest Gump-related stuff, right? Yeah, they've, they've got there's some of the stuff on the menu is named after, I think there may be a Jenny's Crab Legs or something. I'm totally pulling that out of my ass, but <laughs> I, I know that her name's on the menu somewhere. Uh, there's screens everywhere. They're all playing Forrest Gump. That's great. But they're all playing Forrest Gump at different points in the film. Uh -huh. um, so everywhere you look, it's a different scene happening. The servers, at a certain point during your dining experience, they do trivia. 
and they ask you all these questions about Forrest Gump and they look so unenthused because God knows how many hundreds of times <laughs> they've had to do this, but they have to pretend like they give a shit every time they went on another table. What is what was Lieutenant Dan's uh, rank? <laughs> <laughs> Colonel. We got this Russian waitress yeah. who just did not give a fuck. Like she <laughs> just, it was almost like she had written the questions. Or no, actually the opposite. She had said it so many times that it just spilled out of her mouth. She didn't even look at us when she was doing the trivia. There was no... You can't expect a Russian to be charmed by the Americano whimsy of yeah. Forrest Gump. Yeah, exactly. I'm kind of on the Russian waitress's side. I'm wondering what, as a Russian waitress, or just as a Russian, her opinion of the movie would be. <laughs> that is American history, right? <laughs> he created... Don't worry, be happy, right? <laughs> he created smiley face. <laughs> I just want there to be like a chicken finger dish called Lieutenant Dan's New Eggs. Lieutenant Dan. Hello, Forrest. You got new legs. New legs. That would be amazing. I need to go. I need to find the nearest Bubba Gump. They're on like coastal towns. Chattanooga. Not Chattanooga. Uh, Gallenberg. Gallenberg has this one. A Bubba yeah. Gump. I yeah. think maybe me and Angel just got to day trip it there do it man stop by pigeon forge do some go-karting hell yeah do some putt-putt bungee jump do they well that's not as popular anymore but they still got it hillbilly vegas baby yeah baby oh yeah. i thought that was branson missouri no oh yeah because you can i think you can gamble in i mean we oh that's uh, i guess that makes sense yeah. uh, we've always called gallenberg hillbilly vegas sure for those who don't gamble yeah <laughs> i've never been to branson before We've gotten way off topic. Boy, we have. <laughs> but we're on a uh, we're on our final movie. It's true, we're kind of punchy, a little punchy right now. <laughs> yeah, we are. We're kind of ready to be done, but we're lost in ourselves at the same time. Freddy versus Jason, and I'll go ahead and say that this ended up being the biggest movie in either of these franchises. Not Freddy. really surprising. And I was excited about this when this came out at the time. I'm pretty sure I went to the theater and saw this. This may be the only one. Where I did that. But at the end of Jason Goes to Hell, Freddy's Claw pulls Jason's mask I into remember the dirt. that, yeah. And apparently there's a lot of whacked out screenplay ideas. They got Ronnie Yu as the director. He's He would go on to direct, I believe, Bride of Chucky. Or, or that came before. I, I don't it came know. before. And they hired this guy who worked with Ronnie named Jeff Katz, who was obsessed with Freddy when he was younger. And he got to work on a movie. Yeah, he wrote letters to New Line as a kid. Yeah. Which is insane that a little kid <laughs> would write letters to a movie studio about wanting to work there. It was a long time between the Wes Craven film. No. And that came out in, what, 83, the first Nightmare on Elm Street? Oh, New Nightmare is 94. Yeah, because so it, came, it came out before Scream. Scream was like, like I was 96, I guess. I was a yeah, sophomore yeah. in college. So it was almost 10 years before we saw a full Freddy again on the big screen. Because after New Nightmare, it was pretty much like Freddy's yeah. claw yeah, at the so. end of Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah. Like nine years after the last Freddy movie. I wonder how movie. Paramount got the rights to do that. I always wondered about that because there had been no agreement made between New Line and Paramount about doing a crossover film when mm -hmm. that happened. Yet they were still able to do Freddy Krueger's love. Hmm. Well, a guy named Kane Hodder, who played Jason in mo a lot of the Friday the 13th movies, he got canned because they wanted a bigger Jason to contrast with Freddy's like small leanness. Understandable. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, you can do camera tricks to make him bigger with all those campers and shit, but like, you and really need a contrast with Freddy. A lot of fans made a big 
to do about that. But in the grand scheme of things, the guy that plays Jason is replaceable. Yeah. And obviously I mean, everyone went to go see this. Yeah, it's movie not anyway. it's not like a Freddy Krueger where the character is imbued with any kind of personality or anything. But it's sure, it's just a guy. It's a guy in a hockey mask. I but mean, sure enough, fans are like, fuck New Line. And then then like typical nerds, fuck this and then hand it your money. If later. they had never said that they recast him, they would have never known. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know about Kelly Rowland at the time because I wasn't. Was Destiny's Child like full on at this time? Yeah, I mean that's the only reason she would have been in the movie. Yeah, so Kelly Rowland is in this movie. She, she gets one of the best lines, arguably. <laughs> <laughs> one one of the most cringiest lines in the whole franchise. She says, "I'll go ahead and say what she says." I don't promote this. I'm only quoting. Not this. at all. This is a safe place, Bobby. and this is a word that safe you know place. that has only gotten uh, uh, worse to use over time. Agreed. But it says, uh, but it's Kelly Rowland says to Freddy Krueger, "What kind of faggot runs around in a Christmas sweater?" And apparently, she ad libbed that line, which I don't buy because they showed an image of the script, and it was right there. Like, they're, as they were saying that, it was being contradicted by the, them showing footage of the script, and there's a line typed right yeah. there. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to give Kelly Rowland a benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Destiny's Child brought me a lot of pleasure. Oh, yeah. Joy. I, th- I think she's a great singer. I, I think love her she's voice. great, yeah. And I think she doesn't uh, get as much I re- uh, credit. I really hate it when people diss anyone in Destiny's Child that isn't Beyonce. Like, it's like this joke. Yeah, and the other two. And it's like, no, they were talented yeah. singers. Who was the third one? <laughs> Obviously, she had a huge impact. Michelle something. Michelle Williams. There you go. Not to be confused with Michelle Williams from Dawson's Creek. Michelle Williams, I apologize for (laughs) not remembering you. I think any I'm I've got a lot of names in my head right now. This is very true. But I but I do like Kelly Rowland quite a bit. But Kelly Rowland, when I get like a rap album and Kelly Rowland is featured on it and shit, I get excited. I enjoy some Kelly because Rowland. I think uh, I think she the next thing Kelly Rowland does, I'd probably buy and give it a shot. Brad Renfro was supposed to be in this, but he had mental issues, and Brad Renfro would pass away of an overdose in uh, 2008. Well, we know about uh, Freddy versus Jason. Uh, but I do like the idea of that they're having a kill off and Freddy's trying to get these kills in. But Jason, who's just more of like a, a kill, 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 kill type is like stealing his body count. Yeah. I mean, it was it was it was total fanboy wish fulfillment. I mean, that's it's exactly what the movie. Was. Yeah. This is not the movie where you got to work out your personal no, issues in no, your script. Not at all. Fans want to see Freddy fighting Jason. And that's what they got. And they say that whoever you were a fan of the most, that's who you thought won. They had an idea where Freddy and Jason, they would get defeated. And I think Kelly Rowland, didn't she cut off Freddy's head? Was it her that cut the, the head off? Oh, I can't remember. They had it written of Freddie and Jason where they go to hell and Pinhead comes out. We have such sights to show you. That would have been great. That would have been great. Yeah. But but that, I think the director was not into it. What is that? That's a Clive Barker property. I don't know what his ownership is, is of those characters. Different Clive, studio. Like I'm sure Clive Barker likes money, you know. <laughs> Pinhead ain't been used in a while. You know how these artists are, man. But instead, at the end, Jason comes out of the water holding Freddy's head, and you see Freddy wink, his head wink. Which is a smart way to give both fans what they want. Because if you're a Freddy fan, it looks like, oh, he's still alive, like, so he's he's okay. But also, Jason's the one coming out of the water carrying his head, so I mean, it's both, a win-win for everyone. Both of these characters are omnipotent anyway, but... Yeah. 
they did show flat the scenes and i do remember this this movie has just been all about reminding me of shit i've forgotten pretty much <laughs> of uh where uh freddie is attacking jason through his mother because i guess there's a concept of does jason dream i think at some point he does and you see like a kid jason like and he's like like a little bald kid and he yeah. looks pale and he's like <laughs> that's some creepy shit i've never seen that movie before so I, I, again, by that time I had sort of moved on. It's dumb from the horror genre, particularly those sequels. It's dumb fun. Oh, I'm sure it is. I wouldn't mind seeing it though. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a good big fan of some crossovers. I mean, we read comics, so we're used to seeing sure these big slugfests that really don't have any yeah. bearing on any storyline, like Freddy versus Jason versus yeah. Ash, which didn't which, work out as a movie. That they tried. Been pretty cool, actually. I wouldn't mind checking that out. They tried, and I think it, it did become a comic book. Series. I'm sure it did. Yeah. Dynamite. Guarantee it was dynamite. But New Line Cinema would later become absorbed into Time Warner in 2008. And this is bizarre because over the years, New Line would pump out some very successful movies. They did movies like Seven, the that OG 1990 Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah, which I had completely forgotten about. Which... It's still well regarded yeah. by oh, people who remember being excited about it. It's a great that. movie. It holds up. Yeah, because they're, they're costumes and people doing actual like martial arts yeah. stuff. It just, yeah. It, I, when I was a kid and I saw the trailer for that, I about shit my fucking pants. Like, <laughs> I felt like this is like life won't get better than this. Yeah. Going to see Ninja Turtles in the theater. And I was right. Nothing's ever been better. Yeah, I remember that. my sister and her boyfriend <laughs> taking me to go see it. I don't even know if they had any desire. To this day, I'm still grateful to my big sister and her boyfriend for taking me as a tag along mm-hmm. to go see movies with them because most big sisters would not have done that. Oh, right. Um, so I don't even know if they wanted to see Ninja Turtles. <laughs> right. But they, they took me and uh, it changed my life, man. It changed my life. Now, the budgets were increasing at New Line, but the bureaucracy was weighing things down. And New Line was falling despite the fact that it was more successful than it had ever been after building a successful movie company from the Nightmare on Elm Street series. That's so bizarre how it kind of becomes unwieldy after all this success. And of course, just gets merged in with Time Warner in 2000. Which I mean, which is the inevitable nature of all of that industry. Everything, yeah. everything gets sucked into AOL, Time Warner, or what else is there? There's the the GE, General Electric, yeah, General slash Electric. NBC, or you got the Disney, was- ABC, Marvel, Star. I mean, it's, it's all. It's like five companies that own everything. It would have been funny if Disney bought Freddy Krueger. Oh, oh, I'm too scared to sleep. <laughs> But we get actors reminiscing on uh, their history in the franchise, and everyone is thankful. Even the ones who experienced, like, a lot of tension and hardships on some of these movies were very thankful for having the opportunity to work on this franchise. And everyone involved, including directors who have moved on to bigger and better things, talk about how doing, working on these movies changed their life. And actors talk about how doing these movies are still the things that come up a lot when they encounter fans out in the real world. Once you get on a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, there's something about it that's always going to be with you. And at some point, you're going to end up cast on a TGI Friday yeah. ABC sitcom, apparently. apparently yeah, there was crazy, the three girls. <laughs> three actors, including Heather Langenkamp, that were on the show, just the 10 of us, which was some shit sitcom back yeah. in the day, had multiple people who were on 
the Nightmare on Elm Street. Movies. I never even realized that. Yeah, and I've I, forgotten. I've forgotten that she was even on that show. I never watched that show. Yeah, it's it and was, I watched some as a kid where I was. It's like, why am I watching this? Like Empty Nest. You remember that show, Empty Nest? <laughs> I will still catch an episode of Empty Nest. A fucking nine year old has no business watching <laughs> when Empty you're a Nest. Kid, you're just watching sitcoms because they're on. The and... novelty of just the TV existing. Exactly. Turn it on. Who yeah. cares? Really? It's not like you had a ton of options. Yeah. To watch. So yeah, I'll watch Mama's Family with my grandmother. Oh, Mama's Family is the shit. We get a montage of Freddie lines and actor lines. And at the end, it ends on a classic Frederick Krueger quote. It's a Nancy quote spoken by Heather Lankenkamp. What was that quote? Whatever you do, don't don't fall fall asleep. asleep. (laughs) And then she winks. I don't think she winked in the in the movie originally. She gouged her own eye out. <laughs> now, Akil, we don't rate things in a star rating scale. That's for, that's like the Nightmare on Elm Street TV show. We're going main cinema here. The big times. <laughs> that's got to be the dumbest yeah, analogy. That was, that, was, that was pretty bad. <laughs> you are so dumb. We rate things on a slasherific Werner Herzog rating scale. Very weird. An all-tour director like Werner Herzog. Let's somehow apply him to uh, a slasher s- series. I think that he and Wes Craven would get along famously. I bet they'd eat cocktail weenies all night together. <laughs> I'm going to give this one through five Herzogs. You're going to give this four fucking hour long movie <laughs> five Herzogs. Then we will combine those Herzogs like that part in, uh, I believe it's uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, where their their faces come together like like they're Just merging and, in the and legs merging and into each other. I feel you. I feel you. I try to keep this brief. At the beginning of this movie, there's a lot of things that like go up on in this for me and then bring it down a little bit. When they cover the first two movies, I had a lot of fun talking about that and remembering that stuff. I didn't remember the second one very much. I maybe have seen it once and it was fun to get the perspective of those homoerotic overtones to it. It made it very funny. And I won't say I was totally done. Also, I guess it's important to note that when people are watching this movie, they don't have to do it like we just did it. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. might have disaffected. <laughs> I mean, anyone at home is just welcome to be like, I'll watch this uh, tomorrow. I'm going to take a break. We didn't do that. We just powered through an afternoon of it. But there was a lot of great things about it. One, it was, it was funny. It was kind of a little generic, like how you would expect a talking head documentary talking about the history of a franchise to be. But I think it was kind of more on the high end of that. I don't think the approach of the documentary was different than a lot of documentaries of this kind, but it wasn't bad. And I thought it was most, for the most part, it was fun. When they reminded me that Dawkins did a Nightmare on Elm Street song, I'd say that shot it up to a five. But then after you're forced to say the word pedophile for the dozenth time, you know, that drops. <laughs> and that, rape. That, yeah, and rape. <laughs> we had to talk about pedophilia and rape a lot, and we're still talking about it right now. So that kind of dropped it, and I, I admit I was a little tired, and when that end montage came up, I was like, oh, thank uh. God. <laughs> thank God it's good. But it did bring back the... <laughs> <laughs> but it did bring back a lot of memories and like I've seen all these movies but it's just been so long it, this movie kind of reminded me of my childhood basically and which is weird to say but that's just how it was back in these days little kids love this kind of stuff and I was no exception 
So I'm going to give this movie Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy, directed by Daniel Ferrans and Andrew Cash. I'm going to give this, I feel like I'm being pretty generous here. It did make me kind of want to revisit some of these. I'm going to give it a 3.5. Okay. I think on average, those kind of things wouldn't get a high rating from me. I think that's a pretty good compliment on my part. Yeah, I think so. I mean, especially considering you can't, to maintain constant interest for yeah. over four hours is impossible. I mean, it's, and and that's, but this thing sort of straddles that line, I think, pretty well, considering, I mean, you're talking eight movies total, half hour devoted to each movie. None of it ever feels like filler. No, If no. anything, I feel like I'm not getting a lot of details that I want from some of the movies, particularly when you start getting into, I guess, I guess basically once you get past, for me, four Mm-hmm. which I think is Freddy's Revenge. At that point, I haven't seen yeah. the movies. And I think it just gets impossible to explain those plots. Yeah, anyway. because some of the plots and even the people talking will admit that the plots are kind of nonsensical in some of these movies. Uh, a lot of these latter movies were just sort of thrown together. A lot of hodgepodge stuff, making changes right there in the moment, on camera, scripts not finished. Um so, I mean, yeah, I guess there's only so much they can say about the plots. And it's not really so much about the plot and these things anyway. It's more about the behind the scenes stuff. So, yeah, by the time it got past Freddy's Revenge, at that point, I was starting to lose interest um, just because I didn't have any connection to those movies. That's past my childhood. That's past me caring about this franchise. Um, so at that point, it shifted from nostalgia for me and making me want to go back to watch these movies again to, eh, I don't really care about that. Eh, I, I I wouldn't mind checking that out at some point, but I just didn't. I didn't have the connection to the the movies. Uh, it is one of those, like you said, it's your standard talking head. There's not, there's, I mean, there's really no anything that's not talking head. It's all talking head, cut intercut with behind the scenes stuff that was shot at the time of the movies being filmed. So there's not really a lot happening present day as far as except the guy who still got some of the props from the movies. Yeah. Uh, you know, showing the, yeah. the head or whatever he had or the doll. It was the, the dinosaur. No mention also of the 2010 Jackie Earl Haley nightmare. Yeah. I'd forgotten about that. I mean, cause which I know nothing about. I don't either, but that movie had come out well before this documentary was filmed. So yeah, cause this was what 2014. Uh, it says 2010 on Amazon prime in there. It says 2013. So, huh? It's possible it could have been shot before yeah. that movie ever came out. But if which would make sense if that's not the case, that's kind of weird. Maybe it was a rights thing, and they just weren't able to talk about it after the merger of New Line with Warner Brothers. Who knows? Um, but I didn't fall asleep, so that in itself is a <laughs> testament to their ability to, at the very least, keep me awake. What, what what is not falling asleep? How many stars will the, will that boost you to? You get at least one. If I you mean, don't you fall asleep, well, right? you, you get half. Oh, I'm sorry. Herzogs. Gotta be yeah, careful. Yeah, what is the star bullshit you're talking about, man? Stars are fucking horseshit. You get half for keeping me awake. Yeah. So there's that. But it also automatically loses one for being four hours. <laughs> yes. It's one thing. If you're going to do that, make them episodes. But I understand this was this movie was done with, without, not with the intention of being streamed as a docuseries. It's so. A- 2010 is like on the edge of that time where you can viably do like a streaming service series. Right. I think if this came out today, it would be like a five part Netflix totally. series or Amazon Prime. Series. Absolutely. And I, I would understand it like that. So this movie 
in a way, at least the way it, you think you can p- easily picture a better way of laying it out would have been, then we would have rated it an Errol Morris because of it's, it'd be a documentary series. But I mean, it essentially it's, it's formatted like a docuseries. I mean, they, they are really adhering to that half hour's time per movie. So it yeah. totally could be set up. But it's way. all lumped together. Yeah, they, they Four released hours. it as a movie. Yep. That's a lot to expect. I'm assuming, did this get a theatrical release? Uh, because if it did, I surely hope there were a couple of intermissions because four hours is a long time to expect your audience to sit there in a theater yeah. and watch this. I bet it had some indie theater select releases out there. Yeah. It's just an ambitious, it's a lot to digest. Yeah. Uh, and as a film, it's, it's, I, I really think it's asking too much, assuming this got a theatrical release. Yeah. It's kind of a, a dick move to do to your audience to be like, here's four hours of this shit. Enjoy. We're not going to take a break. Hope you took a piss before you came in. You might be asking yourself, like, do we really care about Dream Child this much? <laughs> Abortion. <laughs> so because of that, because of the length, like I said, that automatically loses one Herzog. But I did not fall asleep. Gets a half back. <laughs> uh, I did enjoy the nostalgia aspect of the documentary. Uh, I definitely do. I'm sure at some point, you know, it it is Halloween or it is October. So uh, I'm sure at some point I'm going to go back and rewatch those movies and maybe watch the ones that I haven't seen before because my, my interest was peaked particularly about Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Um, I, I think I definitely want to watch the first two. Yeah. And maybe revisit uh, the third one because I believe I remember that one a lot as well. Yeah, third one's great. Yeah. It's, it's the first one and the third one, hands down, my two favorite in the franchise. Um, so, you know, I'm going to... I don't feel like I've wasted four hours of my life like I do a lot of times with things of this nature, but... Um, I don't totally feel like it was a, a fruitful way to spend <laughs> an afternoon. Uh, so, and I could kill myself for being the one that came up with the idea to watch this documentary to begin with. <laughs> it's like approaching an apple tree, right? You're like, oh, cool. I could just pop this apple off the tree and eat it. But imagine you're made to do that for four straight hours. <laughs> and by the you hit your 10th apple, you're like, I think I'm going to die. I mean, I love apples, but there's only so much. Even the doctor says he wouldn't tell you to eat that four hours worth of apples a day. <laughs> That's just bad shit crazy. Uh, so I'm going to, um, I think I'm going to go with uh, three and a half as well. Uh-huh. I think it was, it was a balance of, you know, nostalgia mixed with a little bit of, huh, I might want to check that out, which I think a good documentary does if it makes you yeah. interested and in, if you don't have as much knowledge going in, if you want to pursue it more, I think it's kind of done its job. I think the consensus is surprisingly good. But long. Yeah. But like I said, folks at home, take your time. <laughs> you yeah. Know, you don't have to do, you don't have to spend an hour, an afternoon like we are doing this movie. And this documentary is really made specifically for yeah. hardcore Nightmare on Elm Street fans. If you're a super fan of slasher movies and Freddy Krueger, yeah. this is a five Herzog movie to you. And I highly recommend you check it out. Absolutely. Uh, everyone else, I'd be selective. I'd, I'd get to know you first before I make that recommendation. And hey, you've always got the option if you've only seen a handful of the movies, they're partitioned out in a nice half hour blocks so you can fast forward through all the bullshit you don't care about to get to the movie you want to hear about. Yeah. So, and they cover it all. So even though four hours is a lot, you can see how they could accidentally go way longer. I mean, they could have really just done one documentary about the first movie. I mean, yeah. just the history that goes with that movie. And what it took to get it made. That I really wanted to hear more about that, to be perfectly honest. And the second one. 
Well, we better close out before this shit's like four hours. <laughs> take my 3.5, you take your 3.5. That's a total of seven out of 10 Herzogs. That's pretty good. I couldn't imagine a movie like this being higher than that. I concur with that. It would Absolutely. have to do something really different because I could imagine. Because when you were like, let's do this movie, I, I was like predicting it too. Oh, I, I could hear your amb- <laughs> <laughs> I could hear how uh, suspect you were. Just do the text, man. <laughs> well, I said it was four like, hours. Really? You were like, wow. Maybe we should look at uh, possibly doing something else. Yeah, yeah. Isn't there one about Friday the 13th? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't looked into that one. That could be five hours for all I know. They made quite a bit of those as well. I've never seen any Friday the 13th movie. So that one, uh, I don't know if I could do that. But it is done and we did it. It is. I'm ne- proud of us, man. <laughs> never. I'm glad I did it with you. I only peed once. That's something. <laughs> we had a lot of donuts, too many. Really. Yeah. Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy by Daniel Ferrans and Andrew Cash. It's a 7 out of 10 Herzog movie. And we got the bonus of Freddy's Nightmares. Don't forget about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. If someone's listening, please release that series on DVD. I understand why it hasn't happened yet. If Dokken wasn't in this movie, it'd be a 3. Well, I'm a little upset. I would have given it 4, but they never mentioned Nightmare on My Street. I can't believe that there's a nightmare on my street. Will Smith by the Fresh Prince. I will be uh, looking up all Freddy and horror themed novelty songs. Now that I think about it, though, I actually think Will Smith got sued for doing that song by a new line because he didn't get permission. So <laughs> come that on. would explain it. That makes come sense. Come on, Will. <laughs> Sweet dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and keep on docking. Hey, I don't mean to scare you, but (laughs) (laughs) I just peed myself. Shiny blades, shiny blades, shiny blades. (laughs) I showed up killing cuz you was in your room. I shut up killing cause you chose to snooze. Look at the figure of the wrist. 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 I showed up killing cause you was in your room. I shut up killing cause you chose to snooze uh, Some kids in a sleep try to run for me Some parents on Elm Street burned and murdered me oh. <laughs> You gotta do that every time, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Kill a kid with these fingers Take him down I'm my own maniac cause my daddy gone Murder spree That's all I see Look at the figure of the wrist I'm a soul stealer. I'm a soul stealer. Gonna warn you now. Don't fall asleep. Kill ya. Never quit, mister. Kill your bitch, mister. You better duck, fool. Or you'll get split quicker. (laughs) (laughs) Shiny blades. Shiny blades. Shiny blades. 
bottom, kill it, cause you chose to snooze. Look at the fuck on the wrist. Look at the fuck on the wrist. Whoa! Look at the fuck on the wrist. 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 I don't like the artsy fartsy thing. I, I think I hated his poem.